0: This is Maureen Milliken, and this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff and Groovy Tube. A very special holiday episode yes, because we we decided to do this for our fans, and also because we have a lot to do. Especially Mo, she's trying to finish her book for all her book fans. It's not going to get done on time. So and also, I'm moving back into my house. Yes, tomorrow. Yeah, you're goes... not going to be living under the bridge anymore. No, oh, no. <laughs> okay. I'm throwing that <laughs> cardboard box away. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think what we're doing today may be more familiar to our GroovyTube fans because we're talking yes. about some TV shows. Although we do, N- on our recommendations, yes, we do. So we're talking about two sitcoms and two crime shows. Yeah. From the the, 70s. From the 70s, because it's (laughs) groovy. 60s and 70s, 60s and 70s, because it's groovy. That's the groovy tube. The two sitcoms are Christmas episodes from That Girl and Mary Tyler Moore. Yes. And the two crime shows, which is where crime and stuff comes in, are from Adam 12 and And Starsky. And they are also Christmas episodes. Right, Christmas episodes. Adam 12 and Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. And so we're going to start with the two sitcoms. And then we'll do the two crime shows. Okay, it's the format we usually use for Groovy Tube. It's yes, just so people we'll know, we we summarized. kind of synopsize the show as we go along, and we also have many comments. Make our comments about things, and we try to do it in a way that if you haven't watched the show or aren't familiar with the show, you can still know what we're talking about. Yeah. So that girl is a show that ran from 1966 to 71 with Marlo Thomas, daughter of Danny Thomas. And she played Anne Marie, who was a single girl struggling actress who moved from Brewster, New York, which is... Like, Why I assume it's like one Long of those Island New York or? suburbs. I don't know. Or I I'm always sorry, pictured everybody. it as being like near New Rochelle. <laughs> 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 it's not or Ossany where the prison Don no, Don Draper and see all I could think of is It's one of the first shows, if not the first, to depict a single woman with an independent life Yeah, who she had a boyfriend, but it wasn't all about, ooh, how can I get a man? Yeah, he was, I I liked the relationship in the show, but I've talked about it before on crime and stuff. It's titled Christmas and the Hard Luck Kid. Yeah. The episode. Yes, it is. And It's written by James L. Brooks. Yes, who later was one of the producers of the Mary Tyler Moore show, Mm. which we'll talk about later. But it starts out, it's one of the shows that starts with a teaser where there's a little few minutes Before the opening credits... Which some shows did. And they used to do. And if you are familiar with the show, they would always have a little, like, something going on, and then it would end with, with someone saying that girl, and they would point to Marlo Thomas. Right. So in this one, there's a Santa line, a little these days pervy because Donald, her boyfriend, is in the Santa line, even though we know Donald has no kids. Yeah, I don't understand. And he that. strikes up a conversation with an older woman who's he, in the Santa line. Right. Well. And it turns out that he's actually there to see one of Santa's helpers, and so is she because the Santa's helper and her son spent a Christmas together years ago and Donald's like oh well who is she or whatever and she goes it's that girl and, and she points to Anne and, Ann Ann Ann. and there she is. I want to talk for a minute about the opening. Now you've watched Recently, by recently I mean the last few years, a lot of that. Grew, yes, because right? I have the DVDs, and now it's on Hulu too, so I can watch. Right, it. and I plan to watch it, but I haven't really watched it since it was on. Yeah, more than forty. I remember it. I used to watch it, and I believe when I used to watch it, now I have a memory of watching it when I was probably five or six, and I was by my. It was probably during the day. And they must have rerun it in they, syndication. They would have syndication because it started when I was. But five I used to watch it all and the I time. Right. We so I did too. Up, and I don't remember we grew up if you don't listen to our show much we grew up we have six kids in our family and we're all close in age because it was an eight year span it jammed right together there are quite a few times I have memories of watching TV by myself, which is very unusual because we didn't have more than one TV. Although, memory can be a funny thing. But we did have a TV in the basement, and we might have had one upstairs, too. No, we only had one oh, TV. Okay. We only ever had one TV. It was black and white. Yes. At one point, the channel changer broke off. Well, we, that was when we lived in Augusta. I was thinking of it, Ohio. But it was the same TV. Oh, okay. And we had to use a pair of pliers to change the channel. But it broke off in Augusta. It did finally broke off in Augusta, and Mom was working, when we first moved to Augusta, Mom was working at Sears and this would have been in 1973 she briefly worked at Sears and came home with I remember it cost $50 a $50 black and white tv because the one we had was so old and again you had to turn the channel with a pair of and pliers and then when Nana died we got a car so anyways I used to watch it and I remember the opening more than anything the openings of her running down the street And her, like, looking at the mannequin in the window, Mm -hmm. and it's her, and it winks at her, or she winks at her. Which confused me as a child. And her big, like, face superimposed over all this Confused me quite a bit as a child. (laughs) See, I liked it. I didn't understand, I think, as a kid, I'm literal-minded, as you know, and as a kid, it confused me that how can she, why is she seeing these things of herself? uh, But I also, and we, we can talk about it more with Mary Tyler Moore, too, I think they That show and Mary Tyler Moore both had a big impact on how we pictured what our future as women was going to be. Yes, because instead of having this woman being a wife and mother, which there's nothing wrong with, but these two, if you're a young girl watching and you see these two women and you're thinking, when I grow up, I could have an acute apartment and a job and I could, you know, do stuff and, you know... Especially back then, because that was the 60s and 70s, where most of the women we knew were moms, mothers of other kids or yeah. teachers and stuff, but they weren't... They it, weren't these cosmopolitan yeah. and single was, women with these interesting lives. And I remember, even though I haven't seen this in decades, the theme music and everything, although yeah. it changed, I think, over the years, right? No, the theme music stayed the same, but the sequences the on the front yeah. But, so anyway... She and Donald, after we come back from the opening sequence, yeah, and the woman has given her a present. Which we didn't see that happen. And it's a cute little top, little yes. horizontal star top. Which is kind of weird, but And literally. she said to Donald, well, I almost ruined her son's Christmas. And then there's a flashback. A flashback. To like three years, it was only like a few years before, apparently. Yeah, she said it was three years before when she was apparently teaching. It's a very odd school. Yeah, it's like and, a boarding school and so for the fl- boarding Yeah, and so the flashback starts, and we don't know where it is. She's watching a play. So this little boy who played a tree comes, and he's played by Chris Shay, He's a good little actor, and his brother Eric Shea was on a recent Brady Bunch. Yes, Red. and we actually thought it was the same kid, but then we, we looked him up. Yeah, and this kid's blonde and his brother has darker yeah. hair. But, but he was littler, smir. so, yeah. yeah. And he was a silent tree. He didn't have any line. He says his his mother is an actress and he hasn't had Christmas at home for three years. Yeah, and then the implication, too, is his father's somehow in the movie business as well. Yes, yes. He doesn't really say what his father does. Everybody's going home for Christmas. First of all, he doesn't want to be going to acting. He either wants to be an astronaut or a gas station attendant. She says, well, maybe by the time you grow up, they'll have gas station attendants on the moon. Ha ha. But the whole place is going home for Christmas, including her. Everybody's leaving. He's never had a good Christmas. His parents are in the movie business. Yes. And apparently they're both on the same movie. So the implication is that he probably isn't going to... He thinks this year he's going to. Cause, and Anne says, yeah, it'll probably be okay. Because he's worried that they might not have a Christmas because he hasn't for three years. Right. She makes him give her a kiss, which I don't think would be okay and this no. day and No, and he she says... She says,
1: how about a kiss? And he which says,
0: says astronauts don't kiss girls. And she goes, but gas station attendants do. And he's like, yeah, okay, and he gives her a kiss. Yeah, which is kind of... Then the next scene is she's in the... Uh, I guess he's the headmaster's office, Mr. Peterman from the Bob Newhart Show. The actor's name is John Fiedler, and he was in a lot of stuff in the 60s and 70s. He's got a high-whispery voice, and he's bald with glasses, and he's kind of a diminutive guy. He always plays the same type. So he is the headmaster, and as he's talking to Anne, he finds out that... She's talking about the play and about Tommy, and he says, well, I have some bad news for Tommy. And Anne says, oh, his parents aren't coming home for Christmas, and he says, well, yeah, how did you know that? And then she also tells him that she isn't coming back after Christmas, which is kind of weird that she... That she would tell him then. But whatever. And he's just uh, kind of like, okay... (laughs) i mean he didn't care and then she's in a room packing and the only reason this part is important is because we know this kid is going to come up later this little weird little kid named roger brings her a gift yeah it's his dead bug collection collection. and she's very gracious she is very gracious and he mentions his mom doesn't like dead bugs and he wishes his mom liked them as much as she does but now whenever he gets a dead bug he'll bring it to her and I'm like well joke's on him because she's not coming back. Well, that's right. Yeah and that's funny because she's like yeah oh sure and I'm like yeah. It's like, like the script for writers forgot she's not coming back or something. So then she comes into the dorm they have a dorm with like a Kind of looks like Stalag 17 yeah. or whatever and the kids are all packing and, and, and Tommy is there and she tells him she's sorry about his parents and then she says he says it's okay. He's going to spend it there with Mr. Carson, the caretaker, which seems a little odd to me. You'd think the school would have some provision no or shit. something. No shit. I know. I think that's kind of weird, too. And it just seems like a bad idea. I know. And then Ann says, well, you can stay at my house. which She makes it on the spur of the moment, and I'm thinking that... You don't? Yeah. Uh, find out first. But it turns out she can't. Mr. Um, Mr. Peterman. Peterman. <laughs> I don't know his real name. It's uh, one of those bland sitcom names. But he tells her that because of, basically, insurance liability, kids can only stay within a. 10 mile radius of the campus or they can't be which i was thinking well why doesn't she just get a motel room but whatever Mm, so she goes to tell tommy she can't bring him home and then on the spot she decides she's gonna spend christmas with him i understand insurance liability is a weird thing and also this is a sitcom so things aren't realistic but it's okay to leave a little boy alone on this big school with nobody but a caretaker who doesn't seem to be around that much. I know. But it's not okay for him to, like, go home with another family. I know. Or that's, something. That's weird. She has to break it to him that he can't come home with her. Mm-hmm. But she tells him she has a better idea. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. No, it's not. That she can stay there at the school. Why were you thinking it wasn't a better idea? It just didn't seem like a good idea for Fair <laughs> in mind, it's pretty nice it Well, like a nice place. But there are issues. Like apparently there's no food which bothered me throughout the entire episode. Except I think for jelly and, no. and bread. Jelly and Brad. No. I think there is food. She does not know how to cook. Oh, she okay. is unable to cook, oh, so all she that can that. make a, is See, That's pe- your background knowledge of yeah. the. And they're gonna celebrate Christmas right there, and there's a giant Christmas tree. So yes, and she calls her dad, and he says her mother will be disappointed, but he'll explain because she was planning on driving back to Brewster. Right, and we're not sure Christmas. where this boarding school is. Yeah, it's but somewhere in upstate, it's New York, far enough. I assume so. Except for when we finally meet Mr. Carson, he has a main accent type. Yeah, well, New England. Maybe he's from, you know, whatever. And so, as we said before, she's the daughter of Danny Thomas, who, for those of you who in may real not know, life, yes. in real life, who is very famous Actor and stuff and and stuff. The character of her father on this show, although he doesn't look anything like Danny Thomas, was the relationship was based on her yes. relationship with her own dad, and, and it seems like a nice relationship. The character in the show owns a restaurant, a French yes. restaurant called Marie's, because their last name is Marie, Marie, which is kind of weird. You start well, confused. And me, because I'm like, is her name Anne Marie, like, or is her last name Marie? It seems yes. odd. Uh, Tommy it, doesn't seem very thrilled. Yeah, everyone's leaving. And says, well, there's going to be snow. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it starts raining. It's, yes. Yeah, and there is a massive Christmas tree there's with. massive. With, it looks like unwrapped presents scattered around, like maybe the kids had had a Christmas party before oh, they yeah, left. I don't and it's know. like but we already know because Mr. Peterman told Anne that the cleaning crew isn't coming, so who's, I don't know. I just thought it seemed like it might be kind of cold in there. And then they go back to the present to remind us that this is a flashback. Yes, and then she's talking to Donald and he goes, well, you know, at least there was that tree and she's like, "But it's but a tree doesn't make Christmas. The people you spend it with do. But she tells Donald that every time, it was hard to find stuff to do, but every time they found something that works, they repeated it. They redecorated the tree and they had a Apparently dozens and dozens of jelly sandwiches... The poor kid. I I felt bad for him. I wouldn't want to eat jelly sandwiches. Well, I probably would. Redecorating the tree comes down to her moving the angel and the Santa around as he watches. And that seems pretty... I was like, don't they have a TV at that place? I know. Maybe not. Or books? I know. Like, read? And this is when it starts to get disturbing. And it's not because of the footsteps. It just starts to get disturbing to me. But they They, do hear footsteps. It's Mr. Carson, the caretaker. And he... Since she's there, he's just going to go to his brother's (laughs) brother's house. (laughs) his brother, because obviously... You know... can take care of it. All she has to do is set the sprinkler system, make sure the doors and windows are locked, and check the furnace. That's all she has to do. And it's all just buttons on the furnace. It's like the furnace should just be running. And I'm like, so this is okay? Like, it's not okay to let the kid like, go home Jesus with buddy, her. You can't do your fucking job. You know, I don't feel like doing my job here. I'll let this young woman that. Who knows nothing. She can just do it. And like, so she goes down to check the furnace, but she forgets all she was supposed to do is check it. And so she pushes a button just but randomly. It seems to be okay. Yeah, a black cat runs out and she's scared and runs upstairs. Yes. Like, I'd be happy that there was a cat there. And do you Usually t- the cat would come around. I'm sorry to focus on the cat because it was only like, but the cat would come around and see what you were doing. I know, like, doing. what's the cat even doing there? And well, we never see the cat again. Well, the, by the cat. Way. Well, you know, it's probably good to have a cat in a place like that because they kill all the mice. Yeah, maybe that's but why. But a cat it. would come visit you and say, "What are you guys doing up here?" Right. It would, maybe, unless you... it's a tr- cat that's just there to catch mice and it's mistreated and kept in the cellar. But Tommy's in bed, and he seems to be doing fine. But uh, Anne comes in and wakes him up because she thinks he might be scared. She Obviously, is. she's scared. So then she goes to sleep in a bunk nearby. And she goes to call her mom. And she's on the phone with her. And she says, well, you know, Tommy's in the gym playing basketball all by himself. Oh, the poor little guy. But then she hears other voices excitable children's maybe voices. it was the haunted it's those twin girls that live with it. i know those that's a girl think. ghost. and she's not scared like she was with the footsteps so she hangs up in fact she says something weird like something wonderful this has just happened or something weird like that and now that is and she hangs weird. up on the mom and goes in and it's that little kid roger with the dead bugs yes it turns out roger is there because he lives right near the school and goes to play in the gym well, he's on vacation, which is weird. Like, because how does he get in if the doors and windows are locked and everything? Hmm, and, interesting, but it like. shows them having super fun together, running around, playing some game. Like, it's almost like a follow the leader obstacle course kind of thing. Yeah, it's like and, a montage. And thing. Anna's doing it with them. And if I were her, I'd be like, okay, you kids go play. I'm going to go read a book. Yeah, but she's one of those that likes to go along. But then Roger has to go home. And Tommy's sad because now he's. He step says it. he wishes he could go home. And then he says, Said he's gonna go read some comic books right he's gonna go study comic books he says yeah. and so Anne calls Roger's mother and asks if Tommy can spend Christmas there and she says yes since they live within 10 miles I guess it's okay without telling anyone and just send this kid right out. but she also when she calls Roger's mother, she kind of zings her a little you know this is Miss Marie from the school the one who likes dead bugs. Because oh, oh, earlier yeah. Roger had said his mom didn't like... So I think she's kind of saying, you owe me, lady, because I took oh, the bad yeah. Bogs. That's how I took it. Yeah. yeah, and she really, like, rushes him out of there, which I don't understand, because then she's all alone. But she could fucking read or something. I know, Jesus. and so she plays with the tree, and she puts... She puts the, on sad music. Yeah, sad music, and she plays with a doll... And she goes, it's just one night, I'm not a kid anymore, it's just one Christmas, and then she turns the music off, and to tell you the truth, I kind of envied her. And then the next morning, she's on the phone with Daddy, Daddy. and they're laughing about how Uncle Charlie had too much eggnog again, and <laughs> I wasn't there, and Tommy comes back. He. They gave him a really cool truck, he's yeah. got his suitcase on top of the truck, and it Pretty is a nice. Neat they're very nice people, but they're Jewish. And they had Christmas just for him, which is very nice of him. It's funny because he seems, because she's like, oh, I bet they had a big tree. And he's like, no. And she goes, oh, they had a small tree. And he's like, no, they're Jewish. Like, she should have known that, you know, which I kind of like. It's not like this big, ooh, they're Jewish. It's more just this matter of fact thing. And then they're back in the present and Donald Mm -hmm. says, what a nice story. And that makes you understand what Christmas is all about. Which yes. is kind of weird with the Jewish it angle. It doesn't really, I actually. Know. She has to go running back to... Because there's a screaming kid. Right. So she has to go running back to help Santa. And he kind of looks after her longingly as she oh, runs back. Yes. And I like Donald because he's, when played you watched the whole Bissell, series, Ted Bissell. Who later starred on Me and the Chimp. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the relationship. Sometimes it did veer into that. He wasn't him telling her what to right, do. Right, he wasn't but he didn't do it that often. And he loved her for who she was, even though she was a little quirky. He yes. was the original, you know, the whole thing of Bridget Jones' diary, yes. you know, he loves me for who I am. This yes. was the original he loves her. Yes. And you know better than I because you rewatched the shows, but I don't remember many show like I don't ever remember them breaking up or they had some issues, I think. Yeah. But you know, it wasn't very dra- drama prone. The main drama was her worrying that people would think that they were sleeping together or something like worrying about what people thought like if she was at his house or in i don't know or something like that but which was stupid because there was sometimes there was the implication that they had slept together or that which i'm assuming that they had and let's be yeah, let's be realistic the show lasted from 66 to 71 you don't go out with somebody that long without having sex with him or some having point. some kind of sex and with him. Donald we should probably just point out was a magazine writer yes for a, like a newsweek type magazine so uh, in other words the women at the magazine did all the reporting it to him and then he put his name on yes, the yes just like in the, <laughs> good, uh, girls the revolt. good girls revolt the book, book not the movie right i mean show yes and he interesting thing and this is this is something i'd like to know more about one of the the original pilot his name was actually Donald blue sky and he played an agent, and at some point during the thing mentioned that he was part Cherokee and was it Ted Bissell that played him, I have to see. I, yeah, it was. I saw that pilot. Maybe Ted Bissell's It's on the DVDs. Cherokee. But I thought that was an interesting... Obviously, they rejected that is they, Yes. They didn't want to uh, much, people. And they rejected... Her original parents were Harold Gould, and I can't remember the actress, but they were much more ethnic-looking, and they rejected them, too, because her parents, they were much more kind of generic. Right. And I also want to point out that the music for the show was written by Earl Hagen who did a lot of music in the 60s and 70s. He he also did the music for I Spy, which is a Ooh, show that we should probably talk about sometime. Yeah, And he did the theme song for the Mod Squad. And what were you going to say? Did we mention? Who wrote the show? James, James L. L. Brooks. Brooks. Did we mention that at the beginning? He wrote this episode. I think so. Yeah, we did. And he wrote the next one. We're gonna... Mary Tyler Moore. And the interesting thing is that both, and maybe this is because of the James L. Brooks connection, episodes, both the That Girl and the Mary Tyler Moore one, were titled... Christmas and the Hard Luck Kid. Yeah. And the Mary Tyler Moore episode came out December 19th, 1970. Did we say when the... The That Girl one, if I didn't say it, and if not, December 2nd, 1966. (laughs) So the Mary Tyler Moore show ran from 1970 to 77. So that's interesting. They overlapped. And Mary Tyler Moore later said that Anne-Marie opened the door for the type of character Mary Tyler Moore played on her show and the Mary Richards, her character, walked right through it. That's true. And, you know, I think... I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that Marlo Thomas was the first woman executive producer of a TV show. And part of it, and I'm sure she talks about it on the DVDs for the show, but I mean the fact that her father was Danny Thomas yeah. gave her the leeway or gave her some of the clout, I think, right, to, to to do demand, that. To do that. In, in a similar token, Mary Tyler Moore show, the producer was her husband, Grant Tinker, and they developed the show because they were looking for a vehicle for her. She had played Laura Petrie on the Van mm-hmm. Dyke show, Dick Wife. So it's funny that both of these shows obviously they needed man help to get them done, but these shows about independent women who weren't cliches were both the, pretty much and the, in ideas the of women. And, and the first season of That Girl, she does have a neighbor who's a woman, who's her friend, who's a housewife. But I was thinking with Mary Tyler Moore, especially the episode we're about to talk about, the female relationships are very important in that show. And none of them are housewives, really, even no. Phyllis. No, they're not. To, to me, Mary Tyler Moore is one of the iconic shows yes. of my lifetime. And we make fun, like, on GroovyTube, we make fun of the Brady Bunch. Yeah. I mean, with affection. With affection. But there's, watching Maritana Moore, there's very little to make fun of. Yeah, it still holds up It even holds now. up, and it's still funny. And they originally wanted to make her a divorced woman, but a 1970 divorce was still kind of a hot topic. But also, the network executives were afraid that viewers, and maybe this is Because viewers are stupid, apparently. Yeah, and I think maybe they are, but would be afraid that she got divorced from Rob Petrie. <laughs> <laughs> Who would divorce him? But we have to talk for a minute about the theme song. Oh, both yeah. the first season one, which is it starts out, How Will You Make It On yes. Your Own? And, and then they change it the second year to Who Can Turn The World yes. around With A Smile? But both, that is like, that theme song, I mean, this is going to sound corny, but... This is corny, but it's true. It gives me chills. I think just because of what that show, I was nine when it first started, and I was 16 when it ended. And I think just kind of, it was such a big part of my life. And I think we watched it and thought, and I do go into journalism, a different kind, that we we're going to be like Mary, yes. you know. But the the song is really great and it's funny the opening sequence for the first season too, the montage kind of gives you her backstory. Yes. It shows yes. her it's leaving, like, her it's old good. Job it shows and her driving in the on the highway and the signs say saying going where to she's Minneapolis. Going. You know what's funny is when Rosie O'Donnell used to have her talk show during the day. I can't remember who she had on, but she had this challenge that she could describe both of the openings, mm-hmm. the song played and she did It perfectly. I can't remember. It was a challenge. It was so funny because she knew everything. It was somebody that had either been on the show or was like, thought they were an expert on the show, and it was like this challenge, and she did it. But I always think of that when I see it. But yeah, it, it was a good. Beginning, because if you had never seen the show before and were watching an episode, you would know from watching it, this is who this person is. She, you know, she moved to Minneapolis and she's by herself. So you already kind of, when you start watching, know what's going on. She was originally from there. She had been in New York and broken engagement came kind of back home. Well, she was from Minnesota, but her parents didn't live in Minneapolis. As we see in this episode. Yes. And and I also want to say about the theme song. sung and written by Sonny Curtis. Just a couple things about that opening sequence. The part in the city was filmed, like, within a one-block area, and it all burned down in this um, fire in 1982. And our one of our other sisters, Liz, and I went to Minneapolis. We kind of went on this Bob Dylan pilgrimage, which mm-hmm. is a podcast for another day. But they put up this cheesy statue that looks nothing like her. On the oh, floor there for throwing, throwing her hat. Pants. I've seen that, yeah. And it's funny, too, that at the very end of the thing, you see this woman's face... And it's in between the two words on the credit, so you see her face, and she's, like, scowling as yes. Mary, and that was an actual person just on the screen yes. when they were filming it. Her name was Hazel Frederick. Oh, you know her name. Yes, I read some trivia about this, but I can remember, like, me and Liz always saying, oh, there's a lady who hates her, you know, because yeah. she's not her and everything. Yeah. But without further ado, so this is Mary, and it's called Christmas in the Hardlock Kid. She's on the phone explaining to her mom that on Christmas Eve, which is a week from now, she'll... Be driving home, and it's going to take her a few hours to get there, so she won't get home till like, 1 in the morning Because she's Because she's not getting out until at least 7. Right, because she has to work Christmas Eve. And it's funny because her desk is all decorated, like, yes, overly everything decorated. Is decorated. With the whole thing is decorated. And Lou comes in, and he goes into his office. One of the classic things about this show, if you've never watched it, you have to, and if you're a fan, you'll know what we're talking about, are... The conversations between her and Lou, who's played by the awesome Ed Asner, in his office, both their physical comedy and their comic timing and everything, there's not one scene that takes place in that office through the entire series that isn't hilarious. Yes. But first of all, he kind of gives her, he makes a remark on all the decorations. And this makes me laugh every time I see it. He goes and sits down on his desk, and there's this tiny, <laughs> tiny, tiny, tiny little tiny. miniature Christmas tree. Like it, And about two he just, inches tall. Right, and he kind of looks down at it. Then he looks up, and then he has that scowl. Yeah. He's so cute. And then she comes in because she wants to know if she can leave early Christmas Eve. and he goes, <laughs> And he goes, you know, Mary, I haven't had Christmas off in seven years. He goes, it's just like any other day when you work in the newsroom. Which, by the way, I'm not going to say a lot about it, but I probably yes, worked. Of she the, knows. Yes, I've worked in the last thirty something years more Christmases than I have, almost all of them. And he goes, "You know what I mean?" And Mary goes, "No." And and he goes, "You got to work on Christmas." And Mary is stunned, and she goes. I got to work on Christmas. And he goes, well, yeah, that's another way of putting it. <laughs> and I can't do it like them, but and it's... she has this look like kind of like she's going to start crying. Like she's going to start Cause crying. Cause she got that tremulous yeah, voice. She's, <laughs> get, she's good at that. And she goes, well, I have to go call my mom. And, and he says, he has a feeling that when he goes to sleep, three ghosts are going to come visit him. Yeah. Which so, if you don't know, that's an allusion to, to the Christmas <laughs> Carol by Charles Dickens. Yes. And you can go and look so that up. so he's the Grinch. And, no, no, he's not the Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's Scrooge. Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also the Grinch. Yeah. And so we're in Mary's apartment. She's decorating this giant Christmas tree. She is tree. this huge... Cr- and and his- do you know, I want to do some trivia about okay. this. Okay. That apartment, first of all, the exterior... Of that house that they always show where her apartment is, is a real place in Minneapolis. And that apartment was actually based on the apartment that was in that oh, house. Oh, that's good. So with it's the a like, sunken living room and everything. So it's not like the Brady Bunch's house where the exterior no. and interior don't match at all. And so that she has that big tree and that big window in the front. Yes. And she's decorating her giant tree in her apartment. And Rhoda's. And Rhoda's. <laughs> sure and Rhoda's. Her friend Rhoda. Who lives upstairs in the little apartment. Some more trivia. They originally, who was played by Valerie Harper, who's still alive despite having a terminal brain tumor. And I was so happy. I just read that in People Magazine. And she... And Rhoda is one of my all-time favorite shows, by the way. But Rhoda's supposed to be her frumpy friend who can't get a man. And they originally didn't want Valerie Harper to play Rhoda because she was too pretty to play somebody frumpy who can't get a man. So what they did was just frumped her up and made her kind of grouchy. To make her seem unattractive. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't have to do with looks, too. I too. In real life. In real life, it doesn't have to do with looks. But this is TV yeah, know. world. And no, you I'm can't... saying, but the fact that you're, like, she could look the way she looks, even though she's yes. very beautiful, and still not be able to meet anybody, right? Because, yes, first she, of all, she's New York-y and yeah, kind of blunt and Jewish and... Yeah. Jewish and but yeah, they do think, they had to do things to make her quote unquote unattractive. Or heavy. Because she was yeah. physically attractive. Yes. And that's the way the. Th- things were back in 1970. And Phyllis, Phyllis, (laughs) who's the landlady, and she lives downstairs, comes in, and she's hilarious, played by Cloris Leachman. Cloris Leachman, first of all, is is wonderful. But also, the character is so realistic. Everybody knows someone that's self-absorbed and oblivious. And likable. And she's nice. She's not a bitch. and, And another funny thing on the show, just as Lou and Mary's exchanges in his office are always classic, Rhoda, and, and Phyllis, Phyllis sniping at yes. each other, and Rhoda's smart ass comments and Phyllis's kind of obliviousness are also classic. And she has I guess for Lars, for yes, her husband Lars who, who we never, never see. And He's and some kind of doctor. And he was he was he was a dermatologist. Yes. And the reason I remember it was always funny, he was president of something, and I can't remember what the acronym stood for, but it, it was SCARD. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Bess, who is her daughter, who we do see during the series. Yeah, played by um uh, I don't think with, she was in anything when she was an adult, was she? No, but she was a, one she of those was child a actresses. actresses yeah. She was in tons of stuff. She was in tons of stuff. name And she has gifts she wants to hide up there. Because Phyllis lives downstairs. Rhoda lives up in the attic. It's like a turret type a turret of thing. Type thing. Because <laughs> it's a big Victorian house. You know. house yes. But you and you know, so It's probably an illegal apartment to tell you the So truth. They, they talk a little about the presents. And then after Phyllis leaves... Mary's like, oh, this is going to be some weird Christmas and my apartment's all decorated and I'm not going to be here to enjoy it. I'm going to be working. She's telling all this to Rhoda... And she tells a story about how when she was a kid and they used to go to their grandmother's for Christmas and they go by this diner and she'd see <laughs> the little old men in the diner on Christmas and she goes, she goes, this year I'm going to be one of those little old men. And Rhoda's like, uh, it It's so freaking depressing. But then she tells Rhoda, I do have Christmas Eve off. So she and Rhoda can celebrate and Ro- Rhoda's, Rhoda's like, gee, I don't know if I want to because you're going to be a downer. And Mary's like, no, no, I'll be good. And then they decide they're going to exchange gifts. Yes. Next scene is at the DS- Back at the station yes, and it's the, christmas eve and ted, <laughs> and ted comes barging in he always comes barging in he, those guys have no christmas spirit because he's yelling at somebody down the hall and chuckles the clown and yes they're like, having part everyone in the building apparently is having christmas parties except for except them. for them and he's like i don't know why we can't have a christmas party and lose like because it's it's because of what you did And it turns out he told off the boss on the air, but not his boss. Yes, he was drunk and he went on the air and told off the boss. And Mary's like, yeah. And it turned out it was the president of the United States. Because he sent him a Christmas card and the president (laughs) didn't send him one back. And that would have been Nixon. It would have been Nixon. And And it's funny, that whole telling somebody off on the air that slighted them sounds kind of like our president now. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just saying. That seems like the kind right. of thing he would do. And then the sad sack co-worker comes in, Fred. Fred. And he's not a regular on the show. And, and he's he's mad. Well, because well, he's, he's just yeah, coming he's to cranky. work. he's Yes. He's just coming to work and it's Christmas Eve. And as somebody who worked in the news business, I can tell you, this is not abnormal for to somebody be To be Well, yeah, in general. But also to, for somebody to be bitching about, about having to work the holiday. And he goes, why don't they just ask me to new, work New Year's Eve? uh, And then Mary goes, steps away from her desk for something. And Murray puts a gift there. Yes, and she's like, Murray, we weren't exchange. We talked yeah. about it. She goes on and on, but then it turns out she has she a has present for, for Murray him. Too. Ted comes in with gifts for everyone. It's a record, <laughs> it's a record <laughs> album of the Year in Review by which Ted. Which actually Backer. is, I mean, it's stupid, but it is actually a nice kind of a nice. Yeah, piece. unless you work with Ted and and and, you know. and Fred comes over. And, well, wait, but there's a joke to go with that oh, okay. that you wouldn't know unless you're familiar with Final records, which some of our listeners may not be. Lose so "I'm surprised you." Need Needed an LP because an LP is long plane or what we used to call a 33. Yes. And there are also 45s that were much shorter. Yes. And so, anyway. But Fred comes over. Yes, which I think is kind of assholish, but he knows Mary's the new person. Yes, and he goes... Begs her to he work. He goes, well, no, first he says, well, he leads into, oh, I heard you had to work Christmas. And she goes, yeah, but, you know, everyone here has the same problem. And I'm thinking, no, Mary, no, no, don't do it. And he plays the old family card, you know. And I just want to say, I'm not going to go on and on about it, but... I used to get so sick and tired of people in the news business when I worked in it. We had to work, we had to work every holiday, yeah. and these people who have families and assume because you're not married and don't have kids that you don't have just as important things to do. And I just want to say, hey, people with spouses and kids, your lives are no more important. And <laughs> the lives of people who don't have spouses and kids. Well, you know, I I went 45 years before I had a kid, and I didn't give people a pass because they had family, but a lot of times it would be like, okay, I'll I'll do whatever. Or somebody can't come in because a kid has a snow day at school. Fine. Well, now that I have a kid. You expect your single No, color? I don't expect it, but I fucking do it. I know. and But, uh, but it depends on your job. But what I'm saying is don't assume. And actually, I used to, for many years, I wouldn't take vacations in the summer or during school. During school vacations, because I know because we did it on a seniority basis, yeah. and even though I had a lot of seniority, I knew that there were people who would make kids it and families who wanted to. Well, they're... and I didn't mind to tell you the truth working Christmas Day because by the time I had to get into work at two or three in the afternoon, usually on Christmas, the whatever celebrating we did in our family was over and i was getting tired of everybody but my thing is yeah. i don't i don't blame it doesn't make you yeah. i don't blame anyone with a family who wants to be with their family on a holiday and doesn't want to work but you don't what i'm saying is special, fred yeah fred said to mary what's it to you you're going to be all yes. alone i have a family and you don't although the way which is actually kind of good for this scene to kind of it builds up. The, it kind of demonstrates to people watching that we know that she did have plans. Yes, we did. And she, and just because she doesn't have kids, she did have stuff planned, yeah, and she, she did. was disappointed, and it was very important to yes. her. Yes, and Fred's a whiny asshole, yes. but she says, "Well, at least cover for me while I go home for dinner." And so she goes home, and she's making a peanut butter and jelly Aww. sandwich, a little reminiscent of that yes. girl making the jelly. And Rhoda brings her a giant. It's like a gift. It's like a countertop oven with a griddle on top and a rotisserie. Yes, and it's a little over the top, but Rhoda said because Rhoda works at a department store, she's a window dresser, so we she got a forty percent discount on it, Mm. and Mary got her a um, blouse. Blouse. Oh, and I want to say too, with the Fred thing, he does say to Mary, "I just want you to know I feel terrible," and he obviously doesn't. And Mary says, "Well, good." You know, so at least she, but it doesn't really. And then Mary's like, you know, I have to go back to work. I have to work till midnight. And Rhoda's pissed. And Rhoda says, well, after work. And Mary's like, well, I don't get out till midnight, as you just said. And then Rhoda's like, well, then tomorrow Mary's like, no, it's Christmas. I have to work. And Rhoda's like, well, okay, Merry Christmas. You know. Then she leaves. So we're back in the office, and Murray's leaving for the night. You know, it's Christmas Eve, and he's pissed off at Mary for filling him for Fred. Yes. And she goes, it's all right. Fred has a family. Murray's like, his family's not so great. (laughs) So that was funny. I like the way Murray, he's always, like, you know, he always watching out for her. Well, he kind of has a crush on her, but he's also Uh, always watching watching out for her. And then Lou calls her into his office, and it's another classic Lou and Mary scene, and he's got a he's got a envelope and he kind of any kind of grudgingly gives it to her and she <laughs> opens it up, and there's a Christmas card with the sappy like rhyme. So she starts reading it, and he goes, "No, no, 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 no. stop it!" And Mary says, "Oh, I can't accept this." And he's like, "Sure, you can." And but it turns out he forgot to put an amount, yeah. so it's a blank check. And the look on his face—they're such great like she's, facial. Yeah, she's like, "Oh, you gave me a blank check. Oh my gosh!" I know. And then he—and then he's like, so he takes it back, and he's gonna fill it out. And like the look on his face as he's trying to figure out how much money. And she's like, "Do you want me?" To to wait outside. He goes, no, 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 but then he gets that look, and she's all uncomfortable, and just their physical comedy, their facial expressions, and their physical comedy I know. is so funny, and you forget how good it is, and then he asks for the card back, and he takes it, kind of puts it under the desk, <laughs> and puts the check back, and then she gives him the envelope back, and it's just so funny. Like, if you can, if you're listening to this, if you can just go find that scene, even on YouTube, and watch it. It's just, like, classic physical, and yeah, I know. Did you have you wanted to say? Well, when I was young, I didn't understand the significance of a blank check. Like when she said, oh, wow, you gave me a blank check. It's like you're just like... yeah so what i don't understand but then lou offers to stay because mary's all yeah that was nice and he has paperwork to do but she's like no no you go and then well i was gonna say she tells him to stop feeling sorry for her yes it's really annoying her yes which is good you know she's not wallowing in it or anything but then she's watching the tv she's watching the nutcracker dance of the sugar plum fairies and as we know mary tyler moore was a ballet dancer and you know that Awful saying that I hate, dance like no one's watching. <laughs> but she gets this look of delight on her face and she starts doing this like little ballet thing and she is truly dancing like no one's yes. watching. I mean, she really is. You know, it's not this big elaborate thing, but. But then this disembodied voice is calling for Fred, and she gets all like startled. And yes, it turns out it's coming from this microphone. It's Charlie who's at the transmitter. And you'd think she would know, although maybe that there's a, that that microphone leads to the transmitter. Yeah, and, but, but maybe she never had to deal with it. Right? And who knows? But he has a joke for Fred, and it, she's like, "Well, you know." He's not here. So tell me. And Because like, she's like desperate for... Right. And he See, starts, For me, it wouldn't bother me. I'd be no, just watching TV at work. work if I had a TV at work... I'd, I would have yeah. been eating and reading a book. Yeah. Cause, and just for people who maybe aren't familiar with the news business, because I don't spell this out, you need someone there in case some news breaks. Because it wasn't the land of cell phones or... Right. Yeah. There was no way to know. Like my when I first was a reporter in New Hampshire in the late 80s, and I worked the six. PM to 1.30 shift You'd never leave early because you're afraid at at ten after one or something, quarter after one, some fire or something is going to come over the scanner, and you're on your way home, and you don't know about it until the next day, and it's like, why didn't we have this major fire that killed three people? No shit. So he, he starts telling the joke, but then says, right, what's your name again? And she's like, Mary, and he goes, no, nah, I can't tell you this joke. Yeah, you so know. it's obviously something gross. But then she wants him to tell her about his family Christmas. Yes, and he has four kids and nine grandkids, and he's going to his son Paul's and about 15 15 minutes he's leaving and it's a good old-fashioned Christmas and he says do you have any family and she goes not tonight I don't oh yeah and then the phone rings (laughs) well this is later I guess the phone rings and they hang up when she picks up yes and she gets very nervous she calls Rhoda well the other thing that we didn't mention is what Lou told her is that nobody's in the building except for the guy, the doorman, or whatever Right, he not is, even the cleaning. The security guard that has to sit and, at the desk. And he's 12 stories below. So she, she says to herself, oh, don't be silly. But then she takes a chair and pushes it against the door. Yes. Again, she just her physical comedy. Yes, in this. and then she calls Rhoda. Because she hears the elevator, and she says, there's not supposed to be anyone in the building, and then Rhoda apparently tells her to call the police, because she's like, I can't call the police until the murderer gets off the <laughs> elevator. <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes, oh, he has, and he's brought his gang. And then she says to Rhoda you were my best friend, and I really liked your Christmas present, (laughs) she hangs up. And then the door breaks open, and it's Lou and Ted and Murray. Right. And they said, it's a Christmas party. Yes. And then uh, then Rhoda Rhoda calls back, (laughs) and Ted Ted. answers, and he goes, what do you mean, is this the murderer? And Mary goes, oh, that's for me. And Ted goes, you're the murderer? (laughs) And then she just kind of waves him off. But then she says, oh, Rhoda, it it was just Ted and Mr. Grant and Murray, and then she says, no, no one's forcing me to <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny, And then the, she says they're having a Christmas party. And she said she invites Rhoda to come to the Christmas Which party. Which bothers me a little later. Because later they're, they're going to leave. leave. I know. But then they can't because Lou's like, you're not off till midnight. And Marie's like, oh, come on, Lou. What difference does it make? And Lou says... Well, the general manager calls at two minutes to to midnight midnight to wish you a Merry Christmas. And it's kind of funny because a job I had in New Hampshire, a big major boss used to call and sometimes pretend he was someone, just a reader or something. I've had bosses. First of all, to see what people's demeanor was on the phone, but also to check to see if someone was there. And that's another reason you don't want to leave early. I've had other bosses that do stuff. Although you can I've always say done. I was in the bathroom. But so they all find some work to do. And she starts singing Deck the Halls because she's all happy. Again and Murray and Lou join in. And then Ted bursts in the door and starts singing. So they all stop singing. And that's the end. Yes. So the two episodes were both written by the same person. James Brooks. Well, I don't know if he wrote this one. He was the executive producer. He was the producer, one of the producers of the show. Although I'll say the Mary Tyler Moore one is better in many ways. Well, it has those elements. And Mary Tyler Moore, like I have vague memories of watching that girl. Some vivid. But I want to say with Mary Tyler Moore, I can remember... And I would have been nine watching the pilot. Mm-hmm. I can remember. I can remember so many. Yes. And I know I watched reruns and yes. everything like that. But I can remember watching the pilot. I can yeah. remember how I felt watching the show and stuff. And there are so many things about the show that aren't typical sitcom, even today's like yes. more standard. I'm not talking about really good sitcoms that we talk about sometimes on both of our shows that that kind of break the mold. But you know, there were kind of very standard formulaic sitcoms. Yes. But this one has all these little elements, like, uh, especially the interplay between the and characters. And the characters themselves. Yes. Are very... Um, they're not cliché. They're not... They're very realistic, and there's a lot of heart... You know, their relationships are complicated, but they're... Um, like I said, her and Murray, her and, her and Mr. Grant. And all the acting is so good. You know, the comedy. Yes. The, it's uh, there's nobody in it that's not good. Yeah. Well, comparing the two, just the two episodes, the That Girl episode was just kind of odd. It had a weird structure and the storyline was if just kind were, of blah. If so, it were on, if we were, if it were a Brady Bunch episode, we would have said it had some Robert Reed issues because he's such a stickler for things being realistic. And there was nothing. But this Mary Tyler Moore one had a very real thing. She had to work. Yeah. And she had reactions. And And it wasn't some weird just silly thing happening that like on sitcoms there's always it some, wasn't, yeah, it wasn't some like, manufactured right. issue that usually on a lot of sitcoms the staple is people misinterpreting something or something you know that someone doesn't and know that about. that very rarely happened on the Mary no, Tyler Moore show and like I was saying earlier you know how we always have things we can make fun of and one of the things I was thinking of when I was watching this episode and then I watched a few more episodes with Mom last night the Mary Tyler Moore show rarely used. Those, those manufactured manufacturers. Those it was a very character based, all the comedy was character based and the plots were character based. It was really well written and the acting is so good and it's funny because I read that Gavin McLeod who played Murray originally auditioned for the part of Lou. And Ed Asner apparently had a bad audition, which we both felt like it's hard to imagine. But I think they were going to give the part to Gavin McCloud, and then Ed Asner insisted on having a second audition. And I can't see, like, Murray and Mary, and I know Murray's a different character than Lou, but his and Mary's interplay is funny. But there's not an episode of the show where she doesn't walk into Lou's office. Well, I think part of it, too, is that he's a lot older than her. Yes. Whereas Murray's a, a little bit older and just the kind of parental dynamic. dynamic. Yeah, the father-daughter almost type of thing going well, on. Well, it's funny. And uh, she gets, as she gets older, it's, it's not the same, but she's, you know, in the first show, she's so timid. And it, then she gets, and in fact, they make her, by the second season, she's an associate producer yes. and has more authority and stuff. And it's interesting because I watched some, because mm-hmm. this one was from the first season. Yes. Then I watched some from the second season last night. You can tell by her hairdo, too. Well, she had a wig the first year they oh. had her wear because they didn't want those stupid viewers to oh, think she was Laura oh Petrie. So she had a, had a wig. But another interesting thing is that James Brooks, one of the producers, and again, this show was created by Mary Tyler Moore and her husband, Grant Tinker, but James Brooks and Alan Burns were the producers, and he denied that she was a feminist. And I think it's whatever your version of feminism. Maybe back then you had to be burning your bra and stuff. But she was, in a way, because she was a woman who wasn't fitting the mold of and what she a woman was to but she was independent. She was taking care of herself. But apparently back then at some panel, and I'd like to know more about this, on feminism in the 70s, Gloria Steinem gave him a hard time because Mary called Lou Mr. Grant And everybody else in the newsroom calls him Lou. And maybe that was just Mary. It was Mary. But did you notice in this episode when Rhoda, when he comes by, oh no, it wasn't this episode. I was watching (coughs) the first episode of the second season last night and Lou comes over to Mary's. He's trying to fix her up. It's got Michael Considine who plays the principal in room 222 and he's a friend of Lou's. But in any case, Lou comes to Mary's apartment and Rhoda's there and Mary goes, oh, Lou, you know my, Mr. Grant, you know my friend Rhoda. And Rhoda's like, yeah, hi, Lou. And he kind of gives her this dirty look. And then when he's leaving, Rhoda says, yeah, see you, Lou. And he kind of turns around and looks like, what are you doing calling me Lou kind of thing. So it's an interesting. Because I always read, because somebody asked her. I remember reading somewhere somebody asked her why she always did, you know, ask the actress. And she said it was her character. Felt like she had to call him, or felt. She didn't feel comfortable calling him Lou. Right, and I and I agree with that, and I think that that's a realistic thing, and I don't know enough about what James Brooks' response to Gloria Steinem was, if that was part of it, but that was a character choice, and by the end of the series, she was calling him Lou, I think, by the I mid-70s. So. But here's another interesting feminism-based factoid. Jack Cassidy, David Cassidy's father, was originally... Who died at 49. Sorry. Right. I was just looking up because yeah, David he, Cassidy he, he just drank. died. Died in a fire. Yeah, that's interesting. But, but anyway, um, so. he was originally thought of to play Ted Baxter, and he didn't want to be in a female-led sitcom. Fuck yeah. And yeah, screw you. But he, But you know, but um, that shows what the Ted is. Knight did. Such a good job. I know you can't. It's one of those shows now. You hear, oh, so and so might have played this person. Like Lyle Wagner was originally going to be Ted. And then Ted Knight gave such a knockout oh, audition, and, I can see and that Wagner. they were going to have him be like a love interest for Mary. And Ted Knight gave such a great audition that they rewrote the Ted part, made him older and more of a buffoon type person. And it, I think it would have damaged the show. To w- have I'm a glad love she interest didn't have a love interest. I like the way Ted. I, I just so. I can see Gavin McCloud. He probably could have played a different type of person. It just goes to show what a good actor he well, is. Like when because, he was the captain on the well, Love Boat. Well, I was just going to say that he was so good as Murray, and he was so believable that when I did used to watch the Love Boat, used to the way he acted when he was captain annoyed me. Me too. Because I'm like, why is Murray acting like Mister Stud? I mean, I he's Murray. Come I know, on. I know. I, know. I And the thing, thing, thing is, we've all I could never buy the Love Boat. No, no I, know, I could never buy anyway it yeah. because of. Was so good at murray and it's like we've all worked with guys like murray that yes. are buddies at work yeah, oh, and yeah. they're great guys and they may or may not have a it, it doesn't have to be a romantic thing because with him it was kind of like an unrequited yes. type of thing like yeah. there was that one he also episode. Had a good marriage yes Murray. choice beulafon yeah isn't that who played yeah, murray? i think so yeah yeah <laughs> and, but he he was protective oh, of mary yes, and i he think was. he but he was a good friend to her. Like, he stood up for her and everything. And I just love that show. Yes. Now I want to watch him all again. And I, and I do want to point out as far as the whole feminism thing and everything. And it's not even necessarily how you'd classify feminism. But both that girl, they wanted, like, the final episode for her... To Mary Donald. Yes. And Marlo Thomas said, I don't want to send the message that this is the whole point, that you finally get married. Yes. And so they didn't do that. And with Mary and Tyler Moore, never did either. She never did either. There was, you know, she had boyfriends on and yes. off. She never even had a steady she guy. She didn't. She really didn't. If she did have someone she dated more than once, it wasn't a big part of the show. And one of the neat things about the show is... It was about her relationships with her friends in the office and her friends in her building and everything. And while she dated and stuff, and like the one I watched last night with Michael Constantine was interesting because he was a nice guy. Lou fixed them up so they were afraid to tell him that they didn't want to date each other, even though they were both. And it's like, now here's a subtle message to girls. You don't have to date a guy just because he's a good guy and a nice guy and good looking and everything if you would rather not.
1: You know, yeah. and it's, well, and
0: luckily he didn't think that she needed no, to. No, he so was Sometimes very, they feel like you owe it to them for some reason. And one funny thing about that, when Lou was talking about how great it was, he goes, yeah, he makes $50,000 a year. And I'm like, ah-ha-ha. Kind of a side note to what we were just talking about with that girl and um, Mary Tyler Moore is when the, the Rhoda series started and Rhoda was a spinoff of, yeah. but she moves back to New York and blah 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 well within the first season she met Joe and they weren't going to have her get married and they, they had such good chemistry the two actors David Groh played Joe mm-hmm. and I think he's I think he's dead now mm-hmm. and remember he played Brock on General Hospital yes. he was yes. a jerk yeah. Bobby's husband yeah. that yeah. beat her. but anyways they had Rhoda get married mm-hmm. which well, they I... didn't really want luckily she got divorced and then In a couple seasons she got divorced. Spoiler alert. And then I thought the show in the later seasons, I liked it better. In fact, I remember that he was going to pop the question and it turned out the question was let's live together and she was devastated yeah i vividly remember that episode and it annoyed me because it's like haven't we and this was what the late 70s or it was mid 70s and it's like it started like 76 it started before mary tyler moore and it's like haven't we moved on to the point where a woman isn't just desperate to get married in some ways, you know, it was good because her, her character was. Yes, she did. But then once she did, she realized it wasn't what she wanted. Yes, so I've known So it like- kind of worked out well, even though I didn't like the fact that they had her get married. The way it worked out kind of worked out. Yeah, okay, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't, you know, maybe I should have, you know, thought. And both of these two. Back to the Christmas theme to wind up our sitcom portion of the show. The message seemed to be that Christmas can be a different thing, and it's about who you spend it with. Yes, and, it is. And you don't have to be with your family. That's you can spend right. it with other people who care about you. Yeah. Or by yourself. like. Or with your cats. Yeah. So let's move on to the crime portion. Okay. Adam 12. And, and it ran from 1968 to 1975. And then, like, rerun City yes. forever. And I didn't uh, know what ran that long. My yeah, mom. I think by the mid 70s it yeah. was because it was becoming a little obsolete after yeah. other types. And it was the typical Jack Webb, if you're familiar with Dragnet, kind of police, I guess you call procedural. it, no, it police poli- procedural. procedural, less character influenced than plot, you know. But in, similar to Dragnet, because I used to watch that in reruns all the time, it would have kind of a storyline throughout the story, right. but it would have different short yeah yes. And this is where, if you don't know from Dragnet originally, but all Jack Webb shows had it, the story you were about to see is true. The names have been Changed to protect the innocent. Yeah, and if you don't know where that came from, that's where it came from. Yeah, and I do want to say too, I had in watching it, I can still feel it a little. A major child crush, um, Martin Milner, who played like Pete Malloy yes. in this, and I can see why I did.
1: Yeah, he's, I can, he's, he's not really
0: my type because he's fair-haired. He's and, very kind of a red. I think he's a red. He's a redhead. Yeah. Freckly redhead. Although I looked at his biography and his father was a Polish... Well, that doesn't mean anything as a Jewish, Polish, Jewish immigrant. And his mother mother was was a dancer. And his mother was Paramount Irish years. or something. And he was a child actor, starting in yeah, his teens. In he his was teens. in a movie, Life of Father, that was really yes. good. It was kind of poignant movie. And he was Todd Styles on Route 66. Route 66 one of my all-time favorite. Which we shows. should talk about sometime. And, and Kent I wanna... McCord was a very handsome, but he's not my type. So Marty Milner played the kind of the more grizzled veteran, uh, and Kent McCord was the, the rookie. Young, yes, Kent was Jim, and, and Jim Reed. And, and Marty was Pete, Pete Malloy. But I want to say, before we get into this, it can it's easy to kind of make fun of the stiffness mm-hmm. and the way the show is. But you can see elements. in the one we watched, The Pilgrimage, aired on December 19th, 1970, the same night as the Mary Tyler Moore episode aired. They were you, competing. But you can see elements in this if you watched cop shows in the 80s and stuff, like the seeds for those shows. Like the Mac, the sergeant at the beginning, giving them their instructions for the day, just right Right out of Hill Hill Street Street Blues. Blues. And the other thing would be just the dynamic of the young guy and the older guy. in their interplay. And they don't... You know, it's not this deep character-based thing, but they do... They do have characters. They do have characters. And they're both good actors. And they're both good actors. I think Kent McCord, there are a couple parts that I... Part of it is his his character's personality, but he actually acted from the time he was maybe 20. I read that he was... He grew up in L.A., Kent McCord, and he became friends with Rick Nelson in college, And so he starred in a, he was in like 40 episodes of Ozzy and Harriet as one of Rick Nelson's friends. Yeah. So he was, he had been around for a while and I thought there were certain scenes in this show that I'll talk about that I thought he was, he did a, Good job. Um, yeah, they didn't have the a lot to work good. with. No, they but really didn't. The acting was still. The way the characters come out is, especially through Jim and Pete, is there conversations in the car in between their. Yes. You know, you learn about yeah. their life by their conversation. Right. Like Jim is married to um, someone named Jean. Jean. Pete has a landlady. Yes. He's apparently she apparently sings sing a bachelor. Ladies. So let's get into it. I want to say first the opening with the music. And the dispatcher saying, one Adam 12, what 12. Oh, 12. my God. It's so yeah. familiar. I know. I, I wrote the same thing. Ha, <laughs> ha, so familiar. Yeah, so. and I haven't watched it in decades. And the director of this episode was Oscar Rudolph, who directed Ooh. many Brady Bunch episodes. Yes, he episodes. Did. It says right at the beginning, you know, it's a Jack Webb. So, yeah, and Jack, Jack Webb did a lot of stuff. He was, he was a he was very around. busy man. And it starts, as we said, with the morning roll call, Mac, their sergeant. And there is a black, there is one, one black, black guy. guy. And, you know, we, L.A., if you know anything about the history of L.A. police, mm-hmm. um, um, there's some issues, racial issues there. Yes, but um, there is One Black Eye, and they, this is another show that peppers, and I think this is happening more in the late 60s, early 70s, peppers minorities yeah. in... A little, you know, very cautiously. But and I'm not saying, oh, it's so great for no, racial. No, they're trying, equity, though, but... you know. But it is funny, you know. They they show the captain talking to them, and then they show the view from the podium of all the guys, and it's just all men in their uniforms with just... their little military. And, hair like, and like when oh, you watch yeah. cop and shows the one from black that time, guy in the front row. cop shows from that time, there were very rarely women. If they were, they were not patrol, and they would wear u- their uniforms would be skirts. Yeah, like like meter maid kind yeah, of uniforms. Yeah. Anyway, Anyway, so. And so it starts with the obligatory joke gift to the yes, sergeant. Yes, because we know it's Christmas Eve, because he tells them, you know, this is Christmas Eve, blah, blah, blah. There's going to be a lot of pickpockets and drunks and all this shit, you know. Because that's how you celebrate Christmas. And he LA. tells them to get the bags of toys on their way. Oh, but before, yes. before that, Reed gives him the present from all the guys they got together, and they got him a black tie just like the one he's yes, wearing, or with navy his blue uniform, or whatever. Like a uniform it is, tie. Yes. And so there's ha, a, ha, kind of ha. that stiff humor, that stiff that male humor. Humor. And then they have the they have the Adam Twelve theme song, but then it's like deck the hall, like it got yeah, more go, like yeah, to deck you know, the halls. Yeah, I know that was kind of cute. Yeah. And then Reed, they're in the car and Reed's saying he can't get with it, he can't get with Christmas. He bought some real out of sight lingerie, and then Pete says, well, what did he get for Gene? Yeah. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. But then he has to get mistletoe, and so there's a little theme that's going to run through the thing. The trying to that stop. He promised to get mistletoe. Jean he'd get her some mistletoe, and Pete mentions that he has to get his yeah. lamb. Lady something which is never mentioned again, but I think that's to remind viewers that he doesn't really have a fan. He doesn't have anyone. one, so, and then they get a call. It's a 211. Yeah, it's a 2-11. Oh, no, and it, we'll remember that when we do Starsky. Yeah. And yeah, I know. I noticed that on Starsky, and, and it's hysterical. the Santa at the New Hope. You know restroom. what is funny is both, both Pete Jim and Pete and Kent, what was Star- Starsky and Hutch just say Starsky, Starsky and Hutch. Hutch they were patrolling right around the same well like Area. towards the end yeah. they were I know isn't that interesting yes anyway? and the Santa at the New Hope rescue mission an old wino hit him over the head yes and the guy that plays the Santa is J. Pat O'Malley who you would recognize yes he and plays, he seems a little drunk himself yes. if you and, well, but he um, plays Santa, drunks a lot he plays drunks and there's some helpful I guy I know that guy is really inserting himself gonna, into the I know and uh, If this was a different show, it's like, this guy would have been the suspect. I know. Because he really inserts himself. Yes, this guy. So it's this guy with a hat and glasses. Right. And Santa says, what kind of fink would slug Santa Claus on Christmas Eve? And um, it turns out the wino is wearing a black beret <laughs> like Linus a bean, raspberry beret and hit him with a pipe was it the kind you find in a secondhand store no. <laughs> sorry and they call it in yeah Jim calls it and in. they go to leave him and he says and they want to know if he wants help or and the helpful bystander yes. is going to stay there and help him and Santa says I'm just going to go about my business and get a little money in the pot and then he tells his new friend that it may take a little drop of something to pick him up yeah and then his friend like they're standing there and the guy is like standing next to him, like ooh, I'm yeah. with Santa. Well, the guy, well, the guy said, tells. Reed and Malloy. Yeah, I'll stay with them. That he's going to stay with them to keep an eye on him. Which, again, if it were a different show, it would be like, something's know, like, up with, something that, up guy. with like, that guy. He's a calm man. So then, they're driving. But he also, but Santa also, and this sets up something that happens in a minute or two, tells the guy, you know, he's Santa, so ringing his oh, bell yeah. and asking all Santa, and then he turns to the guy and says, very angrily, if I just get my hands on that rat. Ugh. Yes. Santa is very upset. And then we're back in the car and Reed, again, yes. is bumming out yes, that it's Christmas ahead. Eve. I have a problem with this same. They're turning <laughs> they're driving down the street and they're turning right. And this family, two people with a little baby, and they're Native Americans. So they the, you can immediately tell. She has the baby on her back, Yeah, on the one of those little things. It is like a metal thing, though. It, but anyways, they're crossing the street, and they almost hit them crossing the street. And then they stop and give them a hard... Pete right. and Jim stop and give them a hard time, because they're like, you know, it said don't walk. Yes, and the thing is, too... Like they're pedestrians, they have the right of way. You're yes, turning right, you're, you're supposed to right. yield. Turning traffic yield to pedestrians. Yes, thanks, Rob Reed. And also, like many shows of this era, if you are an Indian, then you also don't speak English Apparently well. not. And also, you're a little dumb. Because yes. Pete says, <laughs> it says don't walk, and the guy who we later learn is Tom Nashibo is He's like, that's why we were running. And Pete's like, no, I'm serious. And the guy says in his kind of broken English, that gets better later in the show, that he indicates that he thought because it said don't walk and the light was green that they had to run they were coming here from the Zuni reservation they've never been in a big and they've city and they never before. been in a big city New before. Mexico and they got off the bus in the wrong place and his wife is a really bad actress. I'm and they sorry. have a little girl in the. Cusita! And she drops her doll, and Reed kind of gives her the doll, and the kid doesn't give him the But time I to felt a. that Jim and Pete were very condescending to they them. They were very condescending, as. Although the wife did act mentally challenged. They both did. It both seemed like they were mentally challenged. And then they just, like, show. They, yeah, you're Well, you get on the bus the over street. there, yeah. It's yeah, so across the, the street. But then they are immediately. Um, this guy distracted because a know in a black beret comes stumbling, comes out, stumbling out of, the bar. Out of it and he starts smoking a cigar. And, and and Pete goes, well, he looks familiar and reads like, yeah, he fits the description. And they start to chase him. And it's Pete not says, a very long chase. But Pete says, but Pete says it looks like he's been liquefying his. Access. Yes, I wrote that down too. <laughs> sure enough, they find he's been liquefying his access. Sure enough, they really find weird. the coins that he stole from Santa and the pipe on him because, of course, he. Carry the weapon that you attack the person around. And he's like, So I collect coins. And then they yeah. find the pipe and he's like, I collect, <laughs> collect, pipes. I collect pipes. But then too. he says, So you got me, but not before a little Christmas chair went down the hatch. And then he, he kind of says, you know, it's capitalism. And then Santa comes running over with a crowd. And attacks him. And there's kind of a kerfuffle <laughs> between Santa and the wino. And the wino has handcuffs on yes. at this point. And Santa's attacking. And him. so they pull Santa off, and Jim, and the guy's like, I want to make a citizen's arrest. And the thing is, too, you don't have to make a citizen's arrest because the cops are right there and saw him attack you. And the crowd seems to be anti cop a little. I know. They don't really want Santa arrested. Yeah, some little there, girl starts so so giving Jim a hard the, time. Yes, a little Girl with a lisp who isn't credited, and she says, "Mommy, look, he's arresting, she, he's arresting Fanny Claus." Yeah. And reads like, uh, "You want some candy, little girl?" <laughs> no someone who arrested Santa Claus. I like Reed's acting in this because he's kind of like doesn't know what to do. He doesn't. He does a good job, and, and he goes and then Pete just is and he's at him like, like she. He's not Santa, and you can feel everybody go like oh, because God forbid you say Santa isn't Santa. And but then he said he's one of Santa's helpers who got in a little trouble. And then but then Santa goes, what kind of a freak would arrest Santa Claus on Christmas Eve? And the crowd is very disgruntled. Yes, the crowd is all like murmuring and like and, watching and, it, but they're just all like standing there like real. Really close, like oh, like all looking. crammed together. It's yeah. a it's a multiracial crowd. Yes, it is. And I just want to muttering say, among themselves. In the realism, Robert Reed, and the spirit of Robert <laughs> Reed here, that normally they wouldn't put two people who had been in a fight with each other in the same cruiser. Yes. What they would do is they'd call for backup. Yes. And have somebody else take. Although they did put, I noticed they did not put them both in the back seat. No, one of them, Reed, sat in the back seat. Santa with the, sat wine in a in a, the front. And they drive off and then obviously they've dropped them off because they're back in the car again. Yes. And, and again, Reed is bumming out. You know, geez, I arrested Santa Claus on Christmas Eve. Well, you know... And Pete's he, like, well, he didn't give us a choice. No shit. And also, like, he's a fucking drunk asshole that was attacking I him he drunk he wasn't asshole. really... I wanted to say to he's said, not really well, the Santa Carol's Claus. mother should have, like, backed Reed up a little bit. I know. She just stood there like, oh. I know. And he's not really... Even if Santa Claus did exist, which, spoiler alert, people, he doesn't exist. For those of you who don't know... <sighs> But, obviously, if he did, this guy wasn't him. He's not going to be some drunk in some seedy part of L.A. No. ringing a bell on Christmas Eve because he's got his toys and shit. To <laughs> but, anyway, they're, so they're, they're talking, focused. And then they see a flower shop, so they're going to stop. Because so, they still have to go to that fucking mistletoe but then a call comes in traffic accident an ambulance call so they go and there's a car on its side but then the cadillac next to it has no damage i know there's a person laying with a sheet over him already just laying there with a sheet over him and some christmas presents scattered (laughs) around and foster brooks who i guess you'd have to be our age or older to know he was a Actor who played nothing but trunks. Yes, on every single show, exactly. and so he's there. He was very good at it, though. Yes, maybe he was a drunk. He and was he, convincing as a drunk. And so he's there, kind of in a wavering there next to the cattle. He won't take a field test. Pete wants to see his license, and Fosterbrook says, "I didn't." And I, his name is Mister Selfridge. Yes. Kind of thing. I didn't see the stop sign, and Pete's like, "Well, I'm going to give you a field sobriety test," and he's. Like, I'm not drunk. I went to the office Christmas party and just had a couple. You know how you have to do with your employees. Yes. And he's not going to take the test. And Pete says, well, you know, you can get arrested and lose your license for that or whatever. And he goes, well, I'm going to let my lawyer handle I it. You, know, know, you how, know how it is. And Pete says, no, no I don't, don't know, know how, how it, it is. is. And neither does he. And then, it, and then and it he shows the, the, the corpse under <laughs> the sheet. But da <laughs> And Jim sees the gifts strewn in the street. And he's picking them yeah. up. And Pete puts the guy in the car. And I just want to say, okay, obviously, okay, it's 1968, so all cars didn't come with seatbelts. And the guy obviously wasn't wearing a seatbelt since his car's on its side and he's on the ground, unless somebody pulled him out of it possibly or something. Well, I wondered if they But did also that. the present's scattered on the ground. It's <laughs> kind of. Well, come on. They kind of, yeah. have to show. Pete calls in a code 20, whatever that is. I don't know. Jim comes over. He has a gift in his hand. They show the card where you know yeah. there's gifts for for his kids and wife, whatever. He says the victim had a wife and kids. And then and Pete then the glares at the drunk guy, but he's passed out. Yeah, so and care. then Reed. They says, show the guy in the seat like, and then Reed says, "Sometimes I think the Christmas spirit is alcohol." Yes. And he laments, "Like oh yeah." I know the feeling, Jim. Yeah. So back at the station... They get a call about a shoplifter. For, at Summer's department store. Yes, and they go in, and Jason Lamb, the security... Yes. Yeah. Hmm, yeah, so the security... It's interesting that we know his name. I don't know. I felt like it was supposed to be significant. Lamb, like Lion and Lamb lying um, down together. Or Christmas, blah, Maybe. blah, blah. But we have... A stereotype of the nineteen sixties, early seventies TV show that goes across sitcoms and drama, The Pregnant Lethargic Hippie Girl. Yes. The thing that bugged me is he talks about her to the cops like she's like she not. She wasn't in there. And it's like it was like she wanted to be caught. And Pete, for some reason, in a Robert Reed moment, makes it clear to the girl, Sandy Sandy Quillen, that they didn't arrest her. Jason Lamb did, and they're just going to be transporting her. But she says, and And she's like, just as long as it sticks. Well, he also implies that she's on drugs, the Jason Lamb. He does. And And she's like, I'm not, I was never on the heart. And she says, I have two kids and one on the way, and at least if I can get myself arrested, my kids will be taken care of. And reads like, where's the father? Um, and she says, Rick. Rick, he's my guy. We thought life would be one big trip. Free love, love and freakouts forever. <laughs> but then the kids came and the party was over. <laughs> Only not, not for Rick. Rick. He went on and on. Dropping, dropping reds, reds, whites, rainbows, acid. And heavier stuff. And Pete's like, where's Rick now, Miss Quillen? And she goes, about a month ago, they found him unconscious in the street. Only I'm saying it with more emotion than she yeah, does. Yeah, she had no an emotion. overdose. There wasn't much left of his liver. He was in a coma for three weeks. Then last Friday, he died. And then Pete tells her that, you know, there are... DHS, can Department help of Human her. Services, can well, help. They have an emergency fund for cases... Yeah, Jason Lamb is very... You can tell he's moved by it. Yes, story. He, he is. He looks concerned. He does. He's and he's a, so he pulls Pete and Jim Jim aside and says, you know I'm no bleeding heart. <laughs> I'm tough on shoplifters. And they're like, yeah. They're like, we don't. I shoot care. him. No, he doesn't. <laughs> do that. But her story moved him. And he wants to let it go. And, and Pete's like, it's your arrest. It's your arrest. Yep. But then he goes back to her and he says, these officers have persuaded me to drop the charges. Well, I guess he just wants her, to, in case she's in there again. He doesn't and want her to think and she says to in her sad hippie monotone, "I just wanted to give my kids some kind of Christmas." And Pete goes, "It wouldn't be any kind of Christmas without their mother." Oh, and then she looks a little. Oh. Yeah, they're gonna give her the bag of oh yeah a big bag of candy and toys, candy and kids. toys just for her kids. Even though they asked her nothing about their kids, I mean, we don't even know how old their kids are. I thought I had the impression that they were well, they're young, obviously, but they also were supposed to be passing that shit out all during the day, and they obviously. Weren't so now no. they got to get rid of it <laughs> right, that's before right. they get back. Yes, and I, they're going to get in trouble. So that's a good way to get rid of it. Yeah, all. there you go. Just give it all to the hippie girl. And I just want to say, I know I mentioned it earlier, but I want to mention it again. This is something probably almost every single at least cop show in the '60s and '70s had is the morose, <laughs> monotone hippie girl whose old man was strung out. Um, yes, reds and whites and rainbows. Well, sometimes she's strung out. And sometimes and she's she is Sometimes she's not. Yes. But then they're back in the car. Yes, and Jim is starting to feel a little better about the Christmas spirit. He is. And they're about to stop and it, must. but it's closed. So, so much for getting the mistletoe again. Well, Damn that got some lingerie, so. He did, but you need the mistletoe to Get the jumpstart lingerie, the whole yeah, thing. That's true. Now it's night, so they must work a really long shift. And They're yeah. driving, and they see the this cross glowing, and... We learned in our research that it's part of the old Pilgrimage Theater in L.A. That was this amphitheater. Now it's called the John Ford Anson Theater. But it's an amphitheater that a woman in the 1920s built. And it had largely religious shows and stuff. Thus the cross. Just a little nod to Christmas. Pete says, it sure stands out on a night like this, doesn't it? And then Jim says, like a beacon. Mm. Yeah, and then they see a fire. And my first thought is, Body burning. There's a body burning. Oh, sad and things. And they go to investigate the fire. And who's there? It's the wandering Indian. No. And they wake up when Mr. Nashaboo. Nashibo. Nashibo. Tom. Tom. That's his first name. His acting's pretty good when he wakes up. It like, is. And it's although, very natural. He's like, huh? Although he's lost a little of his accent. It's interesting that he wakes up, he's half asleep, immediately remembers Pete. He says, oh, Officer Malloy. Well, maybe they're the only people they've talked to no, since. that's true. And Pete got... says, Mr. Nashibu, And whatever. And he explains that the bus was taking too long. It so, didn't come. So they decided to walk, and they got tired and slept. And then Rosa wakes up notices Crusita is not there which none of the men of course noticed like nobody said well where's the baby yeah and my first thought was the dingo (laughs) the dingo took my baby (laughs) but also like okay if the kid's gonna wander off what's gonna stop her from wandering right into the fucking fire I know, but anyways, but I'm anyway, like but live. she didn't wander into the fire, and she's only eighteen months old, we find yes. out, and they make Rosa stay near the fire in case in the, case kid the comes little back. girl comes back. and also Tom says, and he may just be saying this to make himself look better, but they've only been asleep for ten or fifteen minutes, yes. so she can't have, she gotten, can't far. have gotten far. So they all start looking so for her. So they start her. calling her looking for her. And they keep going, Cursita, Cursita. Pete finds her doll. Then Reed says ominously, you remember what happened to the last kid who, kid who got lost in these hills. And Pete nods solemnly. And I'm like, no, what? what? I want <laughs> to know us, tell what us. we don't know. They call. Back up, and a bunch of cop cars show up, and the captain's there. And Mac, he, well, he's a sarge, Mac, I think. Whatever he is. Oh Mark, you're I'm thinking sorry, of Mad Squad? Of <laughs> yes, you're I, I am. Of Grew. I was thinking of Captain Grier. They're similar, except he's better looking than Captain Grier. And he says, "We've got animals. We've got a deep lake. We got sheer drops." Cold temperatures. How cold does it get? I didn't check. I didn't know how cold it is. Yeah, gets. Well, it's California. We've gotta find her. There's um, a helicopter even. With e- there's even light. a chopper. Pete's flashlight is out of batteries, so he goes back to the cruiser, which gives him and Mac a chance to talk. He doesn't want to even think. About I know Mac says camera. to Pete if we don't find her in a little while and Pete goes, I don't, don't wanna think, think about it. it. And then Jim finds a little moccasin. Well, it's not really a little one. It looks like about a woman size seven. <laughs> nobody mentioned Crusita had giant feet, which may help her get away faster. He calls Pete. They search. And And then we see, uh, uh-uh, oh no. She's like right on this Um, like... She's like teetering on the edge of this precipice. We see her before Pete and Jim see her. Like she looks like she's contemplating jumping. And then it shows the cross, but it's hard to tell where she is in proximity to the cross. And I had a hard time figuring out where... They were, were, but... And how far could she have gone? And Reed babbles at her in a way that could not be police department approved, talking a kid off a ledge. Like, ooh, we found your doll. Ooh, you lost your dolly. Ooh, your mommy and daddy want you to come back. And she's, like, ignoring him. He's just trying to distract her so he can grab her. Which he does, and it's very moving. Yes, he does. Rosa is very happy to get her daughter back. my baby, Chrisita. And then one of them says... She was going towards the light. Yeah. Pete cross. says. Pete says they both look at the cross and Pete says she's she, going towards the, the light. And the little girl actually gestures towards. The yeah. Cross. And he and Jim nod knowingly. And then Jim tells Pete his spirit is almost a hundred percent. And then they just show the three. They're very reminiscent of the nativity. So it's very. It's like, is anyone gonna fucking give them a ride to where no, they need to go? No. They're Indians. <laughs> but, but anyone gonna like? Offered to give no, them no. a ride to they're his cousins? They're just going to leave them out was, there. The, I don't know if we talked about it earlier, but the reason he is in LA is he was going to work for his cousin. Yeah, we didn't mention that, yeah. No, nobody's, they're just going to leave them there with the baby. Like, and they could have given them a ride before if they want to be in the fucking Christmas spirit. So, they're saying, here's know. your bus stop. Yeah, yeah. They could have like they're doing much lift. of anything except for going around looking for mistletoe. And by the way, Pete does, Jim says, well, it's almost 100%. I guess the fact that it isn't is because he still hasn't gotten his fucking mistletoe. So Pete breaks a branch off. Oh, uh, that! Bush right. and gives it to him and says, here's your mistletoe. And they then that's ask, kind of the. the, the ah, <laughs> and then they and kiss. Then- passionately and then they have the disclaimer that i love the stories you have seen are true the names have been changed to protect the innocent it is true that jack webb jack webb was a cop Mm -hmm. and they did call their stories from real and i think i I mean they're not exactly true right like incidents like the way a writer would get incidents like me as a mystery novelist you know there are things in my books. oh you are are. from from, (laughs) but i want to say about jack webb and i didn't do any research on this so this is just drawing from you're just making it up (laughs) making it up that he deliberately like with dragnet which was i think the original like yeah he deliberately wanted it to be kind of flat and emotionless emotionless because harry morgan has said that and like that's where if you guys don't know the phrase just the The facts ma'am Come from. Because, because he was always just like... People would start babbling, well, my husband, you know, he got laid off and he's out at a bar drinking because, you know, the, the alcohol just gets to him. And then, you know, Jack Webb, would, Joe Friday would say, Joe just Fri- the facts, man. <laughs> and it was almost kind of campy. And I yes. don't know if that was intentional or I not. I don't know if it was, but it became... There were a lot of characters in this short episode. Yeah. There was always, from what I remember, because we used to watch it. It was one of our favorite yes. after school ones Well, I was in love. Marty Milner oh, of course. was my first childhood crush. Oh, really? It was my absolute first. Mine was Speed Racer because cr- I didn't understand the concept of cartoon. I not liked Racer X. And so speaking of crushes from 1975 to 1979, which coincides with my high school years, Starsky and Hutch was very big. This episode of Starsky and Hutch, Little Girl Lost, aired December 25th, 1976. Mm -hmm. I remember watching it at the time. I was 15. And... I had a crush on Paul Michael Glazier, who played Starsky, the one with liked, the dark curly hair. I agent. always liked David soul. And I did. Even though he's a wife beater. Yes. Although, well, he says he was never arrested and he had to go into anger management. No, and it was a whatever. very tough time funny. for him. I just never liked the blonde, good-looking type. I found him more attractive now than I did when I was yes. 15 or 16. Or I was 14, actually. But also, Starsky's the funny one. And it's funny because he has this kind of, it almost sounds like a New Yorkish accent, yes. but he's originally from Cambridge, Man. Hmm. And one of the things about him... Starsky or Paul Michael Glazer? Paul Michael Glazer. <laughs> uh, who knows where Starsky's from? Probably some big city with big yeah. New york accents. His wife, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Glazer, died of AIDS way back when the a- whole AIDS thing back. first started. And it did a lot towards people's awareness that AIDS was not just at the time. And you'd have to have been around in the early to mid-80s. She contracted it. Through a blood transfusion. Oh, yes. And then she gave it to one of her kids. One of her kids. kids, yes. Mm-hmm. Back when the AIDS scare first started in the early to mid-80s, it was considered this gay thing, and there was a lot of political issues. Yeah. And a lot of And she and ignorance. Ryan White. Ryan, Ryan White, White, who was a little boy, that, a hemophiliac that had blood transfusions. And he and, was horribly harassed. And, yes. um and People didn't want you anywhere near. It's hard to explain to people that weren't there, but... Weren't there. But, you know, we didn't didn't live in that the era. The stigma. But the stigma of it, people wouldn't... When Rock Hudson... When Rock when Hudson died, people, it wasn't even like um, public that he had No, it. and Linda Evans, who had starred with him in... He was in Dynasty, and they had kissing scenes and stuff, and people were all up in arms that, oh, my God, he was kissing her, and I know. he didn't tell her he had AIDS. And, and Ronald Reagan, who was president when AIDS first came out, wouldn't even say the word AIDS. They mm. couldn't even get him to say the word and I still remember I was in college, and one of my good friends, Paula, had the Worcester magazine. I went to college in Worcester, Mass., and it was this, you know, alternative magazine that came out. And she came into my room, and she said, look at this thing. And they were calling it at the time, like, the gay cancer. The gay cancer, yeah. And we were reading it. And it's like, oh my God. And it's so weird to remember. But there's a PBS special that I recommend that you can get. And I think it was multi-episodes called The Age of AIDS that talks about how it was first found and then how it was all politicized. And the different things that happen, and it's really good. And I encourage people to watch that because we're not going to be talking about that. No. We're talking about Starsky and Hutch. Yes, but I did want to say that because, because it hit that the Elizabeth Glazier Foundation, and they they and, still and have exact, like this big fundraising right. thing every year. With and all the I think stars people now it's easy to forget now almost what a controversial thing needs mm-hmm. was. But what? back before all that happened, and Paul Michael Glaser was just this, I guess Cute I found him guy. Now he's, I guess I still find him kind of attractive, but he's not, like Marty Milner I look at and I say, yeah, I'd, uh, yeah, I'd still have a crush on him now. Paul Michael Glaser, I kind of like his personality, but it looks mm-hmm. good. Is uh, not my type. The, Remember, um, he, he had that sweater, they show yeah, it in the, the opening yeah, credits. with the big. Kind of like it, the with, big Lebowski sweater. Yes. 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 Yeah. Before the big Lebowski ever wore. And this was directed by Earl Bellamy. Who was also involved with the Mod Squad. Ooh, yes. Which was earlier, a little earlier. Also. um... And Aaron Spelling is the director. Yeah, is so there the are executive some. executive producer. So there are some similar. The squad. Right, so there are some similar elements. And in the storyline is very similar. The storyline is similar to a Mod Squad episode that was in the fifth season called Christy. That since we're oh, going to do the Mod Squad. And Christy McNicholas. We can is talk. In this one. Yes, there are so many. It's Ooh. like that Lincoln. Johnson, President's thing, all the yeah. parallels. But a lot of other shows, like even Adam 12, the theme song and Starting Come On, and I'm like, oh yeah, and it's just yes. so evocative. I have to say, the music for this theme song did nothing for me. It evoked remember. no... But I do memories. remember the montage at the beginning. Yes. Like, they're beating people up all the and time. And sliding over, and they and do those... chasing like, things. Foot chases where they slide over the hoods of cars yes. and, and, like, jump on things they don't need to. The Mod Squad does that, yeah. too. Like they'll, And I also want to say, the guest star in the show christy mcnichol she was at 14 at the time but she plays a, a kid that's like 12. 12 a very good little actor but she i can't believe this but she retired from acting almost 20 1995 1990. was the last no saying. it said 1998 she did some voiceovers a, yeah, yeah. But she Long was time and ago. she was somebody we identified with. She was the exact same age as I was. Mm-hmm. And she was one of those kids, and I can see why she burned out. And she had some mental health she issues. She was in lots of stuff. stuff. Her most famous role was as Buddy, the youngest daughter. Well, in the you, show? but no, family. no, I would say Empty Nest was her most famous. Remember Sharon Dinah Manoff? No. That was a, pr- yes, it was. A, I kind of remember Empty Nest. You were probably in college. I, I it prob- was a fairly popular it, show. It, but in this, the opening scene screams tomboy, which yes. I hate that label, as we yes. know. Why label? Because she's walking down the street with a jeans jacket, and baseball cap on, and a baseball glove, throwing a ball up in saying the air. Saying, I got it. And then saying, I got I it, it, I got and it. And it. it's obviously a shitty neighborhood because there's trash blowing, there's a gross Santa. Well, one th- And it's like, who's going to donate well, there? Why is Santa there? But one thing I want to say about Starsky and Hutch and some of the cop shows of that era is they started showing and the Mod Squads, I think started doing this too. L.A. and other cities as seedy. It wasn't all kind of glamorous backlot stuff, but they really showed the seedier side. And I'm assuming... I don't know if that was a backlot, but like we talked about a little with Adam-12 they filmed on location. Oh, did we? we but they filmed on location it, yeah. a lot which w- wasn't... Um, was something new. It was something new and Starcy and Hutch seems to. I think this one might not be. It might be on a backlot, but they're chasing Right, and stuff. but they don't go through any big effort to glamorize the yeah. city and they show that they have, you know, there's a lot of seedy There's characters. like drunks passed out. So she's walking down the street and she's got her baseball cap yeah. and her glove and she's throwing the ball up and down. Going and she goes into, she goes into a market, store this little market yeah because she goes by a Santa on the street yeah he's uh, ringing a bell similar to the one in animals and it's like who's going to donate though and then it shows Starsky and Hutch in the car and Starsky's kind of begging Hutch to tell him what to his, know what's he getting him for a gift and, and I'm uh, like isn't he Jewish but maybe he still likes maybe he's one of those people that does isn't tie down but he just likes to get presents he's a secular Jew and Hutch is being cynical he he calls it euphoric sentimentalism that phony wave of euphoric sentimentalism and he gets tired of people wishing him Merry and Christmas one, <laughs> for one week a year, and the rest of the year they don't get And I feel at like, you know, people say stuff like that, and I, as I've said many times, I work in retail, and I tell people, have a good day, and stuff like that. And I get kind of irritated when I hear people say stuff like, oh, someone's saying that, and they don't mean it, and it's like, I mean there's it. There's nothing wrong. Don't tell me I don't mean maybe it. Maybe you don't mean it. Maybe you're a dick, but there's, maybe I'm not. Nice, there's really you know? nothing wrong putting a little bit of pleasantness into people's life, and I know that may sound funny coming out of me, than <laughs> <Less laughs> On you probably, but there's nothing wrong with treating People you don't know with kind of this feeling, I was happy to talk to you or I recognize I you as Hutch, a human being. I don't know. Hutch has Well, got a part issue. of this is the buddy banter, yeah. which this is the start of buddy banter, which then we see in movies like Die Hard and all that, which has become Lethal such weapon. the norm. If any of you out there who are writing a book, whether you're going to self publish it or not, dialogue is not buddy banter and it's old and it's cliche, so don't do it. Yes, okay. But in Starsky and Hutch, it was kind of new. But although uh, Starsky does make fun of him throughout the show, he makes fun. Of and him. then the radio chirps on, and it's oh, a 211 in progress, just like I am 12. Which, and we learned 211 is armed robbery. One thing I want to note, because it'll happen about four more times in this show, all of a sudden the road is completely empty, and they and they do this screechy. skidding U-turn, yes. and I'm like, you know, you hear all, all the time about all this traffic in LA, but every time Starsky and Hutch have to get somewhere fast, there's and they no always traffic. Greach everywhere, right? Because they're always going in the wrong direction. It's a Ford Gran Torino, and I think people will remember that car as much as anything else I about know. the show. <laughs> that's what I remembered about uh-huh. it. When they get to the store, it's of, a very crummy store, and there's a bunch of looky loos like outside the store looking in. Very similar to the crowd when Pete and Jim arrested Santa. Yes. The clerk is storekeeper. the storekeeper who was whatever. played by Lou Cutel. And he's kind of a character actor that was an everything ball guy. Right. And he's kind of an unpleasant looking fellow. Yes. And he has little Christy McNichol trapped in a foam booth. One of those old fashioned wooden, wooden foam indoor booths foam with booths. the accordion kind yep. of door. Well, first of all, Hutch is incredulous. He's like, this is an armed robbery. Well, and he's telling Christy, not like, Hutch. What? The storekeeper's telling Christy, you're going to jail. Yes. And Starsky and Hutch are very unsure of what to do. The shopkeeper says to them, she has been ripping me off and a bunch of other shopkeepers off for months. Mm-hmm. And I'm sick of it. And she's very combative. Hutch is like, let me take... Oh, and, no, Hutch tries to talk to her. And, and she's then she like, goes, stick it in your ear. Yeah. And she sticks her tongue out at him and closes the phone booth door. And, and Hutch's hand gets a little stuck. And well, he, those doors, they hurt. Yeah. And, and she sticks her tongue out. And He's like, hey, do that again. And she does it again. And, go, and she had been eating candy or something. And he goes, oh, you have a coated tongue and it's either Black Plague, or you're a licorice thief, or something like or that. Or Black Licorice. He jokes, and somehow she, she th- suddenly
1: just, like, goes out Yes, I
0: felt like throughout this show, she had more rapport with Starsky, and yet the whole moving pseudo-dad theme that's going to arise is hutch. They take her out, there's another disgruntled crowd, just like the Santa Yeah, they're one, all watching them. And somebody even mutters something like, uh, they're, "Yeah, why are they doing that, or something, you know. And she gets away from them and starts running. Running. But they get her, they and they trap her between them at the car, and they, they stick her in the car, and she calls Starsky a turkey. Yeah. I, and I never understood that insult, but that was a very common thing to call someone in the 70s, and yeah, I don't know the origin I never, of it. Yeah, Sometimes they call people a jive turkey. I think Christy McNichol does a great job in this role, and her yes. acting's really good, she's but she's a very she's, good actor. But she's another TV cliche of this era, the smart-ass street kid who's really just trying to get by. Yeah. And I also want to put out this is my Robert Reed moment. She's wearing a fake Mets shirt, but her jacket has a Cubs logo, and nobody especially back then would be a Mets and a Cubs fan but at the same time. She probably got those at the thrift store oh, okay. and they had pro teams on them, and she's right. a baseball Okay, fan. I'll, I'll go along with that. And so they say, where do you live? And she brings them to the sleazy motel. scuzzy hotel, and there's like a concierge. I call him a concierge. <laughs> yeah, I just call him the desk clerk, but he's obviously, you can tell just by looking at him, sketchy. Gross. And she says she lives there with her dad. And right, and they go into the apartment, and there's booze bottles around, All and over. nothing in the fridge. He's and like, they exchange knowing looks. Because there's nothing in the fridge, and she claims her dad's out looking for work. And her mitt says both Ma- Molly and Pia. And she tells him to call her Pete. And he goes, which do you want to be? And I'm like, hmm. And he's like, okay, you're Molly when you feel like being Molly and Pete when you feel like being Pete. And I will say, although this does have a little cliche thing at the end that I'll talk about then, nobody really gives her a hard time. Or tries to make her girly. Right, yeah. about being a tomboy. Yes. In fact, later Kiko, her new friend, calls her Pete sometimes. Yes. and So does um, Darsky. She keeps telling them they better get out because yeah, her cause dad's dad going to be really like mad it. and he's not going to like it. And, and they're it, like, we're just... St- and then it shows dad we immediately realized this is a dad. dive bar a typical drunk guy two women hanging out. yeah him. he can barely stand he's up buying he's buying drinks for the whole he's got bar a few days growth of beard he's very sweaty and dirty looking he looked very familiar he kind of reminded me of jeff jeff and, daniels yeah two guys come in and they're obviously bad guys There's thugs one of them's really scary there's the looking. nervous latino and the, yes the nervous that guy is and the menacing high, right and the menacing white guy the menacing white guy was actually in The Boston Strangler. I looked up him on IMDb. The dark guy was was so freaking very hit. nervous. Yes, a very nervous. And they've been looking for Nick, Molly's father. And they're like, "You've been out for two months." Yeah, so he's been out of prison. So, but where he's are like, the "But he's like, I've got responsibilities. You know, I've got my little daughter. I got her out of foster care as soon as I got out. And you the, should see her. She's so cute." And, and, they're and just like we don't give a and shit. And yeah, he's acting a little like nervous and very jokey. nervous. He's one of those ineffectual drunk. Losers, and it turns out the three of them did a jewelry store heist. No, it was just a, a robbery. Heist. Well, they stole four diamonds. Yeah, it was a robbery. And though. he's already fenced the little tiny one because he needed just some the itty bitty money. One. And they want to go get the other one. And he gives ones. them their share, and they're not impressed. Well, of the little bitty one. Well, also he's buying rounds for the bar. Even as they walk out, he's like set everybody up again. Yeah, that's because know? he knows he's living. He's not going to pay. But you yeah, know, well, I've oh, yeah, but, but I have some plot issues big time with this. But they so, want to go get the diamonds, and he's like now, nah. and they're like yeah, yeah now nah. nah. we want our fucking. And so money. he tells the bar, I'll be right back. Huh? Yeah, set it up for everyone. They bring him outside and he tries to punch them and then he runs. Of course, the menacing white guy shoots him immediately in the back, and I'm like, which the nervous Latino guy brings up later. But I'm like, you're going to shoot the fucking guy? How the fuck are you going to get the die Well, the Latino guy searches him, and, and of course, he doesn't he's have He's very him on him. upset. He's like, Why'd you have to go and shoot him? Yeah, which <laughs> is kind of what I said too. And he doesn't have him on him because, of course, he's no, not going to fucking dead. Have him. They're on never going to find him. A scary guy drags him away. They run. They run. Yeah, in an alley light yeah. and we're back in the scuzzy apartment and Molly is showing Starsky her baseball cards and it seems almost a very an ad libbed conversation. We're yes. talking about the baseball cards. And Dad's girlfriend calls. yeah Which raises it's Peggy. some other questions. Peggy. Dad's been hurt. So they all go running out, and they have their sirens blaring, which they yes, love to do. Yes, and they to have do. to do a U-turn off the park. Yes, and they screech. Park. they screech up to the scene. Unfortunately, fortunately, his corpse is still in the yes. alley, covered. Maybe this was before they used to tape off crime scenes. I know crime scene tape didn't come into use until the 80s. Oh, I didn't know that. I had to that. research that because somebody in a book I was editing had it in the 1940s, and, ah. yeah, and you didn't have it. But... She is able to go right up and pull back the sheet and look, and it's her dad. And nobody tries to stop or says, "Hey, kid, this is a crime scene." You oh, know? No, she's hugging. And him, then the cop at and the Sursky scene and Hutch looks sad. Yeah, but the cop at the scene. Yeah, the cop at the scene is. And very the cop like... is like, "Unfortunately, except for her, who cares?" I know. It's like, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. yeah somebody got killed. Who cares, except for the poor kid crying yeah. over there? And now we're at the cop station, and Hutch is caressing. He is harassing. He is. He's, he's like groping, co- groping her, and he's like, "You're inviting me. Right too. now, Perkowitz. Perkowitz, who I think is a juvenile officer. She is an officer. Though, and I have a I vague memory Perkowitz. of her. She's very perky, too. And she's probably in her late 20s, early 30s, even though they keep calling her old lady Perkowitz. I can't remember from the show what the dynamic is. But she isn't dating either. Starsky or Hutch. No. But, but he Sta- was like Hutch is at a desk and she's sitting out. on the edge and she's on the phone trying to track down the foster parents. And right, and he's grabbing her and groping her and what today would probably he'd probably lose his job for. Yes. And but back in and the she's 70s, just like ignoring it. She's trying to get the Williams on the phone. Right, and he's begging her for something, and yeah, he he's saying you're invited too. And then he then we find out he wants to see if Molly can come to his place. Yes. And Meanwhile, Starsky's with Molly, and he gives her some hot chocolate. Yes, and tells her that Perkowitz is trying to find her foster parents, and she's not. And into she said that. she did not like them. No, she didn't like she them. She said they're not they're not in business anymore. They went back to their old business, the con- running, running a a concentration. A concentration And again, this scene again, she has like this natural chemistry yes, rapport she does. with very good Starsky, together. and so it turns out what Hutch wanted was to take her home for the night. And Perkowitz decides that's okay. Yeah. It's too late for her to go to juvenile detention. She can stay at Hutch's place. And I'm, I'm like, like yeah, really? really? First really? of all, does she have the authority to do that? I don't know, because I think she's a juvenile officer or something. Mm-hmm. I'm not really, I can't remember. She is an officer. What, they call who? her officer. I thought right. she was a social worker at first. Right. I, I can't remember. remember from the show what. But, yeah, they're going to let her go. Why can't she go to Perkowitz's house who's a woman? That's kind of what I thought at first was going to happen, but not. Well, and the other thing I found interesting, was so then Hutch and Molly leave and Starsky makes eyes at purple says, and let's animal go, noises. And he says, let's go buy some humbugs. And then she just smiles at him. Yeah, because like, they're going to go buy some humbugs. I know. They're like making eyes at each other. I don't know if that means they're going to go out and have some drinks together I thought they would or have they're going to go have sex. But, and, but it's funny because she wasn't really flirting with Hutch, but he's like feeling and, her up. I can't remember if she and Starsky had a thing going. Since we're just doing one episode, it's hard I to I know, know, it's hard to remember. And so we're back in Hutch's apartment. Which is very strange decor, And he's I like, I forgot to get your toothbrush. And it Reminded me there are, there are some parallels to the Mod Squad Christie episode. Yeah. But, and one of the things is when Pete on the Mod Squad has the little girl who got dropped off by her father at his part. but he has a whole drawer of toothbrushes, and the girl who's like about six says, Why do you have all these toothbrushes? And he's kind of embarrassed because obviously he has them in case women stay, well, that's spend the nice night. Of him. It was very considerate, but, but he has Hutch trouble doesn't. explaining that to the little girl. And yeah, and Hutch doesn't have he that. He tries to show her how to brush her teeth with her finger, which she just thinks. Yeah, is and weird. she looks at him like he's an idiot. And she confronts him and asks him, "How come he volunteered to have her there?" And Hutch says, "Well, it's Christmas, and it seemed like a good idea at the time. And you know, staying in juvie, which was, I guess, the other choice, would have been a crummy thing." It's later, and there's melancholy and music. And he's sitting there he's in the looking dark, soulful. looking David soulful. Soul. Yeah. <laughs> and she's sobbing and he's singing don't give up on us, Baby." Yeah. which by the way for you kids out there that was his big hit he had a big hit don't give up on give us baby. A, and he's but he's listening to her sobbing he, and he looks sad crying. he looks thoughtful but he doesn't bother her and that's kind her, of the last nice. acknowledgement I mean it comes up a little bit the kind of last acknowledgement that here's a kid who just lost her dad no, she, she obviously doesn't have a mom and, even if and, you, and you can sit there and say well her dad wasn't around he was in jail he was he, only in jail for three years and that doesn't matter because right. it's not that person it's the fact of him existing and it's her father the thugs apparently live together yes and the nervous latino in a a seedy apartment (laughs) the scary one i call them the scary one and the and the dark one the scary (laughs) one's cleaning his gun and he's they are laughing it's like a really weird interaction the upshot of that whole scene is they need to figure out where the diamonds are yes Maybe that and kid the, knows. They laugh, and then the dark one's, like, getting all pissed off. Right, right? She's very did he nervous. He's very uptight, and then the white one is just, like, a loose cannon. He's, he's obviously just like, gonna... don't worry, we'll find her. She knows where the diamonds yeah. are. I don't know why they think the kid is going to know where the Yeah, because like... later somebody says, do you think she knows where they are? And the other guy says, of course she does. And it's like, Why? Would Why she? Would because she? first of all, He's Dad stowed them before he went to prison. I know. We're back in Hutch's apartment this morning. He's mixing something up a in a blender. Smoothie. And those people who watch the show know that Hut is a natural health foods food health freak. food freak. And so he has all this crap you've never heard of. She comes in, and he tells her to cheer up. And I'm like, this is a girl whose father was shot on the street the day before, and he's telling her to cheer cheer up. up. And then there's someone at the door, and it's Kiko His neighbor. I always like this kid. He's a neighbor. He's a little older than Molly. He's probably 14 or 15. Molly's very sarcastic, too. And, right, but he's okay. And Hutch introduces her as Pete, which Kiko takes in stride. And he mentions that he had huevos rancheros for breakfast to let us know that he's Hispanic. And then Starsky comes in... and I want to say, all during this episode, Starsky is singing different Christmas carols, he is. just so you know. Because he's very cheerful. He comes Christmas. in with a little Christmas tree. All decorated. And he's singing. Drugs. Rudolph the Red Hull Gnome Hull Reindeer or, or the Hall, something, I don't know. And Molly's like, who cares about Christmas? And she leaves and the she, room. And then Kiko says, there's just some dialogue here that's annoying to me on a couple levels. Kiko says, woman who can understand them?" Yes. And then Hutch is like, good point. And then Starsky goes, what's wrong with her? And I'm like, um, Gee, her father I died. could be wrong. Her fucking father, again, was shot on the street the day before. No shit. She has no family. She has no one. And they're saying, What's wrong with her? She's a 12 year old girl. Jesus, I know. I was just like, What the fuck, assholes? But anyway, Perkowitz calls. Yes. And Hutch says, The Williams are going to be home this afternoon, and he has to take Molly over to them. Right. And Starsky's like, Well, that's too bad. And this is one of those little cop dialogues. yeah. Yeah, exposition we get in these shows. The father's an ex con. He's been out two months, and he spent, mo- he spent most of that time in Skid Row bars. Yeah. And he went, and he did three years for Chul. He says to Hutch, he's like, do you think Molly knows anything? And Hutch says, no, but they may think she knows. Yeah. They have to off. get her stuff on the way to the Williams. And the squirrely clerk, scuzzy, the concierge, sees them coming. He's mopping. He's mopping the entrance. <laughs> rushes to a phone, and then we see the bad guys overturning the room. And the way they do on TV shows where they're not really looking for anything. I know, they're just, they're just dumping, like flipping, like they're flipping the mattress over. They're a bunch over. of little diamonds. I know. They could be anywhere. Yeah, like if you have diamonds, you're not going to like put them under the mattress. You're going to put them in something. I, I know. Think. And so they're like, Ugh, the cops. The music plays, and the guys go out the window, and starski and Hutch go running after them. Yes, and they, so they each pick a guy. But the guys get in their car and drive away. And of course, because there's always boxes stacked in the alley, the car <laughs> has the rear just so it hits the boxes before it skids out of the alley. And then they're like, Oh no, Molly. And they run back and, and she's, she's just packing her shit. Yeah, and she looks sad and they look at each other sadly and Okay, knowing. and then this next scene Yes. So they're at the graveyard. And yeah. He just died. And also yesterday, it's a criminal and It's a, it's investigation. a, it's a criminal investigation. And, and yeah, they're and at she's a like cemetery and she's and she's like, like I Oh, should I should have brought the, some flowers uh, or, or something. Was, like, what the fuck? And also I don't know what they're trying to establish. It's a very short scene, but whatever feeling or whatever they're trying to establish, it seems they could have done it some other way. It didn't make any sense because it's been Why a day. Why are they at a cemetery? Yeah. He's not going to be buried yet. But then they're in this Oof. nice neighborhood. Maybe it's like okay, so she's saying goodbye to her dad, and they're bringing her to the I Williams. Maybe know. that's what the scene. A... I always find these shows in California, which most TV shows, at least back then, seem to be. The Christmases are were always so weird I know, to us. I know. Really you know, Santa in his sleigh on the green lawn yes. and everything, and and it's. Not nice house but she doesn't want to get out of the car yes yeah, she wants to stay with hutch and he says you need a family and starsky's like you can either stay here or you can go back to juvie he says they won't allow it and she says who are they and he says you know who they are yeah the man which is true you know when someone and the, says they and want then him. starsky gives her some kind of surreptitiously gives her some money and she's yes. like what's this for and he goes merry christmas kid and you know she's not very grateful no she isn't but she her, just her father like, just, just died I know, I know. And Mrs. Williams, who seems very nice but a little overly effusive, are we supposed to like her or not like her? I don't. Well, she's an idiot we find that out later. But she seems happy to see her. It's also very weird. I can't tell if she's sincere. Yes. Like, if she's acting like that, then she's going to beat the crap out of right. her. Right. But I think Molly kind of wants to live her own life yes. and doesn't want to be, even in this nice house, and Molly well, calls Starsky and Hutch Finks and traitors, and Mrs. Williams seems totally unaffected yeah, by she, that. She's just like, ah, ha, ha, ha. So they go back out to their car, and uh-oh. But the thugs are parked, yes. right? Yes. Now, do you think that Yes. The, okay, the thugs almost <laughs> (laughs) ran them over. They almost ran them over with their car. Yes. Now, Starsky and Hutch are not going to recognize the car that almost killed them. Right there on this nice suburban street. sitting right there in the fucking car. Yep. And Starsky and Hutch do not see them. Yes. And the white guy wants to grab her right then and there, go in the house and grab her, and the nervous Latino is like, no, patience is a virtue. Yes. Well, I'll come back the next day. And... I'll deal with it. The next day, he's going up to the door, and what he looks like is a thug in a priest costume. With a nice hat. It's a weird accent. It, does sound, it sounds like an Irish, like the accent he's Well, maybe he's on. trying to do an Irish he's priest. He's trying to do some... <laughs> <laughs> and he tells Mrs. Williams, her father, went to their gospel mission, and they're doing a Christmas pageant, and one of his last wishes was that Molly be in the Christmas and pageant. And she invites him in the house, and then it switches to another scene, so I don't know if Molly's not there, and she invites him in to talk to him. I think... Or if Molly's yeah. there. Well, again, this is another scene because it seems like Molly would have said, this fucking... My dad wasn't in any... I know. Fucking... But in any case... And we... also, wouldn't the Williams want to go watch her in the pageant? That's the other thing I had think. a problem with. Also invite Starsky and Hutch to the pageant. We're back in the police station. All the cops, all the guys... Oh, they have a jokey gift, too, just for, like I'm For Adam Captain Toby, It's even jokier because it's a toilet. And they're putting a ribbon around it and... It made me realize we don't see Captain Doby, their boss, in this entire episode. So he's played by Bernie Hamilton, and I don't know this for a fact, but it strikes me that this is one of the first times they've had a black guy playing in a supervisory role on a comedy show. But he's not in this episode, but they're wrapping a toilet for him, and Hutch goes, oh, I just saw him out in the hallway, and they all scatter. And then he tells Starsky, well, actually, I saw him getting in the elevator to go downstairs. <laughs> Hutch just isn't into this stuff. And then they have their cop talk about the Yeah, Molly's and it turns dad. out those diamonds that were stolen were worth 125000 Which which you looked up, right? It was like about $550,000. Wow, so that's a pretty good chunk of change. Yes, he took part in this robbery, and he, they had two partners. Starsky's like, oh, they must be the two thugs. Yeah, duh! Like, I know, but it's like, no shit. Yeah, yeah, so they rush off to Mrs. Williams' house, and the giggling fool that she is... Well because David Sole is handsome. I know. She's totally clueless. No, Molly's not there. A nice priest came by from the gospel mission that her dad went to and brought her and they're the, like, what's to the which pageant gospel mission. Oh, I'm like, oh no. I don't know. And then it shows Molly. He's got her in kind of like half Nelson chokehold. And, and he has a gun up to her. Right. Head. It's the nervous guy. He wants to know where the diamonds are and she bites him and runs away. And she slips into a hole in the building. It's like but, a cellar window. And then doing what people do on TV shows, she's there like looking at. And him he and doesn't even see her. He she's doesn't like even see her. Sight. He just like throws his hands and up. and where else would she have gone? Well, I guess she disappeared into. And then into he there. just gets in his car, and drives away. Yeah, like, he um, gives up very easily. And then Starsky and Hutch are in their car, driving around looking for her. And they get a call. And it's funny. It looks like they're driving right in the neighborhood he is. Like, and then they get a call, a call at Hutch's address. Yeah. And so they have to screech into a. U-turn on the empty street, and Molly and Kiko are in Hutch's apartment watching TV. And as you know, on TV, when people are watching TV, it's always a western. It's always a western shooting, right? And she's got dirt on her face, and they have to turn off the TV to get her attention. And they ask her if she knows where the diamonds are, and she's like, "No." And she doesn't seem very traumatized. The guy held a freaking gun. I know, and she says she well, she's a tough kid. She says she doesn't know anything, and yeah, and um... even if she did know, she wouldn't tell him. But she doesn't know. And then Starsky mentions that the next day is Christmas Eve and I'm like, hmm, at the beginning of the show they said it was two days until Christmas so the time elements are all fucked up because that was two days before and Starsky pressures Hutch into telling her they're going to go Christmas shopping which Hutch doesn't want to do but obviously they do and the three of them are in the car don't they have to like be at work or anything? I don't know I don't know no seatbelt. She's crammed in between them in the front Cause seat. Because it's the 70s. They're trying to buy her a dress. Apparently they've, they've gone to, to free a dress. dress shop. Now, why would they think she would want a dress? They're like, well, what do you want? You must want a dress. Apparently she doesn't. She wants to go to the Navy Surplus. And she comes out, and there's kind of this funky, almost huggy bear kind of music. Well, it's because making that noise with his mouth. Oh, yeah. He's going boom, 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 boom. And so she's got a nice army jacket on. Yes, she does. And everybody's happy. And now we're back Except at for the, the bad that bad guy's apartment. The scary thug says the pre-suit makes him nervous because he's still wearing yeah, the pre-suit. And, and the nervous guy says, do you think the kid knows where the stones are? And the and the scary white guy says, she's got to know. And I'm like, why? And he, again, why? is cleaning his gum, which I don't know yeah. how much he needs to. No. When the Ramos, it's a little bungalow. And Kiko Kiko's and mom, mom is, she's a really good cook. And she's also a good seamstress. She's at a sewing machine shortening. And she's speaking Spanish. The, the pants. Time. Um, for Christ, for Molly I keep wanting to call her Christy because it's Christy and it bothers me that Molly says oh, I'll try them on and she pulls them on over the pants she's wearing and then wears them and it's, uh, <laughs> it just bothers me and after she leaves Kiko says and it's very poignant says so she hasn't got anyone ma and, and his then... mother answers in Spanish but what I like is that they don't Feel the need to translate it. Then we're at Hutch's, but Starsky is on the phone. Well, Captain Dobby is yelling Dobby. at him. I like Dobby. I know you do. But they're kind of worried that even if Molly doesn't know where the diamonds are, the bad guys may think she knows yes. where the diamonds are. Molly comes and They send her back over to the to the Ramos. Ramos house. She's upset. She's sad, and Hutch, for some reason, he leaves and then he comes. And then he comes back and he and he kind of pets her head. Yeah, he's very touchy feely with yeah. her. it kind of and she says, concerns me. And she says it's not fair that they kill my dad. The cat and he says... He says, he, well, even if he was a drunk... Well, he didn't say drunk, but even if he had problems... You know, he loved you. And she goes, he just would have been drunk again. You've been more of a father to me than he ever was. And of course, Hutch is all, you yeah, know... He's he's moved and also bummed he out. He looks upset. And Okay, this is a problem I have with this storyline. They let her walk back and forth. I mean, she's going out on the street by herself when these two thugs are trying to grab her. She goes on and she tells Kiko that she's going fishing. And he says, but you don't have a pole. And she goes, all you need is bait, and that's me. Her plan, as it unfolds... It's is, very dangerous. And it seems a little... More convoluted than it had to be. Yes, as we'll it does. Say. But now Starsky and Hutch are talking to their informant, Huggy Bear. Huggy Bear. And we didn't get enough of Huggy on no, this episode. No, he hasn't been on much. And just to clear up a misconception, he he was not a pimp. He was not People a pimp. People get him confused with Rooster Beretta. No, Rooster. That was his. He's he heated. knows the whole thing. Yeah, he knows. He says it. that Nick only fenced one diamond. He told the fence to let them know to leave a message at the Singapore right. Bar. As usual, Huggy does all Starsky and Hutch's work know, for them. Does. And then Hutch gets mad because Starsky gives him some money, and he's like, oh, don't tip the help. And I'm like, first of all, he's your paid informant, and you do give him money. And second of all, don't tip the help. This guy's just done your fucking job for you. Fuck, the Singapore bar is right Half here. Half a block from where Edwards got killed. Oh, <laughs> my <God>. <laughs> <laughs> So Molly is going into the C D apartment, and she... She very she makes obviously. A point. Yes. She makes a point to say Merry Christmas to the squirrely desk clerk and then she hides behind a corner and listens. And make sure he calls the thugs. And, and then it goes back to Starsky and Hutch of the Singapore. Old Tonnenbaum is playing kind of sadly. Yeah. And then there's all these drunks with their heads on the tables. and <laughs> The bartender tries to, like, attack him and they, they handcuff me. him to a pipe. Like, he's already handcuffed. He tells them the address and they don't run. No, they just leave him cuffed. Then it shows Molly in her room and the bad, sitting on the couch waiting. And sure enough, the bad guy's bust in and they grab her and starsky and hutch are at the bad guy's apartment yes they screech down the street burst into the thug's place with their guns drawn <laughs> and they're back there. at molly's place that lets right. you know the nervous guy is freaking out. out he is fucking freaking we got all kinds of ways to make <laughs> little girls talk and she <laughs> says she'll show them where the diamonds are but they have to drive her there and it's out on ocean and we know that that's hutch's place that's hutch's. so why place? didn't
1: she just uh, never mind. I
0: don't know. And then the bad guys arrive at Hutch's and Kiko is sitting there in the hall and I don't I don't understand why she told him to wait at Hutch's and I don't know why. Right. Well, because of what he's going to do next. But apparently she didn't say I'm going to lure the bad guys here and you need to go call Hutch. So she goes go get the key, Kiko. I think Hutch has it. And he's like, oh, okay. And he realizes she's signaling him to go call Hutch when it would have been easier beforehand if she just said, look, I'm going to come back here with the bad guys when you see me with them. Call Hutch. And she tells him some of the diamonds are in the ice cube trays. If I were her, I would have said, I know the diamonds are in this apartment somewhere, but I don't know where. I know. Because it would have taken them longer to look. That's It true. doesn't take very long to look in ice cube trays. Yeah, but maybe they thought they had to melt the ice and because they're well, they, cause they're, they're diamonds, they're clear, they're like mm, th- yeah, okay. they wouldn't show up. All right, I'll buy that. But the dispatcher patches Kiko into star ski yes, and car. Yes, it's an emergency call. From, and then, of course they screech. They have yes, to they screech. have to do another skin. now why do they have their sirens blaring? I don't know. And the psycho nervous guy says he's freaking out again. I warn you not to play <laughs> games, Tamale. He freaks out about everything. I know. And so he grabs her, and they decide they're going to take her somewhere else. And you go out, and you see Kiko letting the air out of their tires. Yes. And the psycho white guy goes, there's that kid! <laughs> like, in case we didn't notice. He's like, the tire's flat. Yeah. And, and so they, so they start, start running, running with her, her. And Starsky and Hutch screech now, up. what I didn't get is, how did they run with her? Like, couldn't she have made herself dead weight? Or they weren't carrying her. She was running, too. You don't too. see much of that. Yeah. Was... And fortunately, this chase is mercifully quick. <laughs> yes. Because we've seen enough fucking chases. Oh, and that, again, they split up. Hutch gets the scary one, and Molly... And the nervous guy is about to shoot Hutch. And M- Molly goes, you want the diamonds here? And she throws her baseball and glove. And It seems like they hit him in the and crotch. <laughs> Hutch is able to attack him, and they've got the bad guys. And then the, the real cops come. And Hutch says to Molly, that was a really good stall. And Molly says, it wasn't a stall. And she sure should've... enough... The, the diamonds are, are inside her mitt, and it's similar to the Mod Squad. <laughs> yes. Spoiler alert: gonna... the the money, the missing. I think it was money, but yes, it may have been jewels. It was jewels. in, that kid's teddy it bear. Was in her that one. Right, stuffed that animal. animal. Yeah, she says they were my dad's. The only thing he had left. And Hutch <sighs> says, "You saved my you life." Saved my life. And Starsky says that's what happens when people um, get carried away with euphoric sentimentality. Yes, he, he mentions euphoric sentimentalism like a million times. Well, he throws it back in Hutch's face but every chance now he Now, my question is this. What the fuck was her father's problem? Why couldn't he have just said, okay, let's go fence these diamonds and we'll all split the money? He had Two the fucking reasons. diamonds. T- three reasons. He was greedy and wanted them all for himself. He didn't seem greedy, though. He was an idiot, a well, drunken but, idiot, yes. and there would have been no plot. Now we're back at the Ramos house. Where is, apparently is changing gifts. Hutch has been given an ant farm by Starsky yes. and a Venus flytrap by yes. Kiko. Yes, yes. So Kiko hands Molly a box. Kiko says, "Here, this is for you. I think it's from Kiko's mother." Ah. Oh. And Molly yeah, so opens it. She can't a, talk. She just is like well, smiling cause she's, in the back because she doesn't speak English. And Molly opens it, and it's a dress. It's plaid. Just ugly plaid it's dress. It's very ugly. And Kiko goes, kind of yucky, huh? And she goes, oh, maybe I'll go try it on. And then she leaves, and that's weird because she never comes back. Yes. Well, the we're only really there for another up. couple no, minutes. Kidding, kidding. And Perkowitz is there, too. Perkowitz says to Kiko, hey, if this all works out and your mother can adopt Molly, how will it feel to have a sister? And Kiko says, well... I really wanted a brother, but, you know, Pete is close enough. Yeah, she's close enough. Yeah, And then Hutch has got a gift for Starsky. A tree has been planted in his name at some park near the horseshoe pitch, and everyone laughs, so it must be some kind of joke that has to do with Well, I think the joke is more that a tree was planted in his name and just that it's near the horseshoe pitch is just for us to realize it's in a park somewhere. I don't know. I think the thing is that poor Starsky really wanted a gift. Oh, I get it. He really wanted a gift. But what's wrong with a tree being planted in your name? Well, I think Starsky wanted something. Don't you know people that if you had a tree planted in their name for Christmas, they'd... Maybe not to your face, but behind your back. Be bitching to other people. Yeah. All you got them was a fucking tree planted in their name Maybe. instead of getting them something. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I okay. Get it. But my ex-husband always used to give me like the... Um, well, you weren't Starsky, and he wasn't, I wasn't Hutch. You didn't really finish that heifer project. But Very it was nice. obvious throughout the show that Starsky wanted a present from Hutch. Oh, well, I And get so it. Hutch finally gives him a present, but it's not the kind of present. Because uh, okay. Starsky's like, oh, I know you got me that sweater I wanted. Oh, it. I get it. Okay. Yeah. So, but back to the dress thing. One issue I've had on TV shows from the beginning of time, and they're still doing it, is whenever <laughs> whenever there's a girl who's a quote-unquote tomboy, which I have an issue with, as you know, you don't call Boys, sissies, except for if it's a pejorative. I know. But yeah, if a girl doesn't act like in this feminine way girls are supposed to act, they have to have a certain label. They can't be a girl... They have to be a tomboy. I don't even understand. But then the every tomboy. single TV show where there's a girl who's overtly tomboyish and it's part of the plot, at the end they have to pretty her yes. up. Yes. And the whole point is, see, you secretly really wanted to be a girl the whole time. And all I'm glad about this one is they didn't make her fucking. I was afraid on in they were going to make her put a dress on. Although it wasn't a really frilly dress. It was no, kind it, of a, it was just no, a but plaid. it was a dress. Yeah, it was a dress, but it wasn't frilly. It was like a plaid. But that doesn't make it any. Yes. No, I understand. It was all. Almost like here's a dress that will conform well, to Tomboyism. Well, it me in the first place that they were trying to buy her a dress. Why would they even be trying to buy her a dress? Where is she going to wear a, on bachelors. Where the fuck is she going to wear a dress? I know. Awesome. So, so the whole Christmas spirit was once again restored restored is that it was in all four of these shows oh, yes the Adam 12 and Starsky and Hutch it's interesting because they both have the guy that's kind of the cynic although Jim and Starsky are not alike at all so no Hutch. one thing about Adam 12 and this is a vague memory and I may be wrong I think it started out with their characters much more as kind of caricatures. And also, I think Jim was was a a a naive rookie. And Pete was supposed to be the cynical veteran. That was supposed to be a dynamic on the show, but I think they kind of got away from that. Well, you kind of have to. I mean, he can't be a naive rookie forever. No. I think David Salt, I still think he's very attractive. Yes. Well, I mean, on this, I don't know what he looks like now, if he's still alive. I, I, I think he'd look like a guy in his 70s who used to be attractive. Active. it's funny because i did watch i faithfully watched starski and hutch and really liked it but it just didn't have the resonance no. for me that the mod squad no did. it, it didn't it permanent. didn't it wasn't one of my yeah the mod squad for some reason i remember more but one thing too that became old quick on cop shows as they evolved they went from having kind of the more static characters like adam 12 and those guys to trying to have more interesting banter-type characters, but it became a cliché so yes. fast. But Maybe we should end by us each giving a thought... <laughs> and off the top of my head so, of okay. what the true meaning of Christmas is going to be. Because all these shows were like, ooh, that's the true meaning yes, of Christmas. Yeah, true. My feeling is if, if you really think it means something, then you shouldn't give a shit whether people say Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas. Because I don't think Jesus, the person whose birthday is being celebrated, would have given a shit. I think Jesus loved everybody, was tolerant of everybody, yes, cared about everybody, and wanted everybody to feel good for who they were. I agree. And these shows, I think, all in different ways... Almost kind of support that. So maybe the real meaning isn't whether everybody buys into this... Or whether your fucking kid believes in Santa Claus or not. Sorry, I had to get that in there. <laughs> that's Maybe my that. thought. My feeling of Christmas is people like to say peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Well, that's in the song. If people actually believe that. Right. We would try to work towards that. And that is not by being more religious or forcing people to, to join your religion. <laughs> it would be by accepting everybody no matter what they believed and just trying to make the world more peaceful. And not right. fucking kill each other. With that said, I want to wish everybody a happy 2018. We'll see you in 2018. Maybe it'll be better than 2017. How could it be? I don't know. <laughs> bye, so, everybody. And thanks for listening. On a TV. Are you going to really have the story of this? Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Why would kind I? of bitter. I don't know. Why are you getting pissed because at for telling you to have a good day? You you're, that's a rhetorical question, right? I mean, when somebody, when somebody says... Um, I'll pray for you if you're sick or something. I don't say, I don't pray, I'm an atheist, fuck you. I say, thank you.